Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This podcast is a part of the Podmania Podcasting Network. Check out podmania.co.uk to check out more of our great podcasts, features, reviews, match ratings and previews spanning the crazy and diverse world of professional wrestling. Hello guys and welcome to the Stardom Cast, your weekly audio source for all things World Wonder Ring Stardom right here on the Podmania Podcasting Network. I'm your host Rob Gooden, I'm joined as ever on these things by Chris O'Brien. Chris O'Brien, how are you? Apparently I roasted you so bad in my match of the year Fred, that you got an ear infection. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> I... I... I I distinctly called you out on my match of the year, Fred, earlier this week. Did you? Yeah, um, about Ueno versus um, Sakaguchi, saying, oh, D- I don't watch DDT because it's oh. all comedy. <laughs> yes, was it from, is it Yamaguchi Strong, the show? Um, or something, Kawasaki Strong or something? I don't know. Kawasaki, I think that might be, I'm literally, I just, on the Fred, I, just, I literally just put the date, so... I don't. I can't actually remember the name of the show. I'm awful with show names, but um, that's my second favorite match of the year so far. Favorite coming up later in the, in the podcast. Ooh. Stay tuned. Um, and yeah, I called you out because your takes on DDT are fucking awful. <laughs> what do you mean they're fucking awful? Because you're like, oh, it's all comedy. No, it's not. Right. Like, L- let's put this to bed right now. I know it's not all comedy. Okay, I know that there are some fantastic wrestlers in there. The issue that I have is that the comedy that I know is in there turns me off. It's it's the same issue I have with TJPW. I know that there are some fantastic matches in there. I know there are some fantastic workers there. I'm not tarring it all with the comedy brush, but honestly, the comedy just puts me off. It really does. And I know it's really shallow, but... It's, it's basically all on the undercard and smaller shows. You can just... Skip it. But I'm a completionist, Chris. I'm a completionist. So I will have to watch the entire show. That's why oh, I stopped watching be, All Japan. To be fair, all, right now is the undercard that's good on All Japan and the main events are shit. Actually, I say that. I'm still just still salty from Swarma versus um, Ashina. But... Yeah, I can kind of get that, but also like I watch. I'm interested in too much wrestling to watch all that many full cards. <laughs> no, you have got a huge backlog of wrestling to get yourself through, haven't you? Oh, I haven't even watched Blood Bloodsport. Um, I've decided just to next Elimination Chamber. New Japan can get in the fucking bin. Um, and even then, I'm just still overrun. I'm still behind on all Japan. Um, I'm still fairly interested in half so. And half stuff like Joshi stuff that I know I've never seen. Like, I want to try out Ice Ribbon. I want to try out Marvelous. I want to try out more Seedling. But oh my God, there's so much rest. There's so much wrestling. And then I also want to watch Doctor Who. And then also I need to watch movies. Otherwise, Garth will hate me. It's a time. 
what a time to be Chris. <laughs> <laughs> to be to be unemployed in a pandemic. <laughs> well, as we record, it's the uh, it's the twenty second of February, and Big BJ, the I Boris wanna... Johnson. Um, right, I, I like to think it isn't political for me to call him a cunt. No, it's not. I think he is a cunt. Um, he is a cunt. He's objectively a cunt, and he keeps getting people's hopes up. And then, because he keeps doing that, he keeps having to fuck up the whole, you know, not letting people go places so we can like not kill people thing. And then he just does it. And he said, "Oh, we're going to start talking about relaxing, um, relaxing fucking lockdown when the cases are still fucking going up. They're still fucking going up." And he's like, "You know what?" Fuck, fuck it, let people die. Fuck him. Fuck him. I need a pint. Let's go. That, that fucking... Right, before before lockdown, I get drunk alone in my room. I was ooh, an alcoholic or whatever. Now I get drunk alone in my room. I'm a responsible citizen. I don't want that to end. I quite like that. <laughs> when it's the social norm to get pissed on your own in the room, you don't want that to end. Yeah, no, like I, I, I quite like that because it means I can just like get pissed on my own and no one judges me because it's the only way you can really get pissed now. <sighs> I feel like there's a conversation me and you need to have that's probably not on air. <laughs> <laughs> I worry about you, friend. I worry about you. To be fair, I feel like you worry about me just when I talk about the wrestling. I can see. Yeah, I, I don't know how you fit it all in, man. Like, I'll be perfectly I... honest. With great pleasure comes great responsibility. <laughs> I mean, that's not the quote, but it just seemed that's to fit. That <laughs> just, just sounds like Uncle Ben trying to tell Peter how to make love. <laughs> oh, right. Anyway, let's get straight into some stardom. Um, we're going to do things a little bit differently. Obviously, usually we'd start with any news at the start, but as most of the stuff that we're going to be talking about pertains to the All-Star Cinderella show Budokan. Um, We're going to push that to the end because obviously the two Corican shows we're going to be looking at today uh, contain a lot of stuff that is going to be going forward into Budokan. So we'll do all of the announcements and the news after we've looked at these two shows. And we're not looking at the Shinkiba shows. Um, Even though Stardom World was like uncharacteristically quick, in getting all of the matches up from the 20th. So props to them. Hopefully that's the start of something new. Um, but we just I we haven't had time to watch both the Shinkiba shows, so they will be in next week's podcast, uh, which will be our last pre-Budokan podcast. Good God, I'm excited about Budokan. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. So, Chris, let's head... Straight into Corican Night 1. The Stardom Go to Budokan Valentine special shows. Night 1 from the 13th of February uh, from Corican Hall in front of 549 people. We opened with a three-way elimination tag team match with the Queen's Quest team of Momo Watanabe, Yutami Hayashishita, uh, defeating the team of Gokin Death and Lady C and the stars team of Ruwaka and Sayuride in 11 minutes and 10 seconds with the B-Driver. Um, Chris, anything or nothing to say about this? I enjoyed this. It was a very predictable fi- ending because literally everyone else is the pin eaters from other factions and then you have Momo and Itami. Yeah. It- <laughs> I mean, to be perfectly honest, you've got your Red Belt champion in there. It's not a great look for her to get, uh, to get eliminated first, is it? No. Um... 
the, it, it was it was fine. It's better than I expected. Lady C's coming on very fast. Um, she hasn't quite found her place in stardom yet, but it took Saya what a year, so that makes sense. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's a, I've next nothing to say about this otherwise. Um, it started quite interestingly. I don't know if you, I don't know if you watched the pre-match promos, but if it's not a production error. Um, and just something spliced in from Julia's promo later on in the night. There's an utterly bizarre opening promo from Ruaka, who says that they, her and Sayurida, are going to show Starlight Kid's naked face. Now, I'm going to assume that that is a production botch, and that was just spliced in from it later on in the show, because otherwise, what the fuck? Like, That's how does that pertain to this it. match? To be fair, it's amazing how often the start of a show almost gives away the ending. Do you remember um, at WrestleMania 15 when Michael Cole um, described Stone Cold as the new what? Yes, I do remember that. Yeah, I do. So maybe it was. Maybe it was a spoiler just sort of hidden there. Um, yeah, hidden it was... In plain a... sight. It's like, it's like a game wrapped in an enigma, wrapped in a riddle. Wrapped in a mystery. Ooh. Ooh. Um, Ooh. Yeah, this was, this was your standard fare. I, I must admit... I did enjoy Team Little Big Clown. Um, I think that their the, their dynamic is quite entertaining, and I can see them being in the same league as like a Colour Me Pop in the tag league. I can see those two don't being. Be, don't be so mean about Lady C. <laughs> um, Sayurida and Momo have great chemistry. You know, we're playing back to um, the whole um, you got pinned it in the seedling show, so that was quite nice. Um, but yeah, otherwise, fairly standard. Momo and Utami had to win this. Um, it was nice for Momo to get a pinfall in a year where she's had so few. So uh, yeah, I gave it two and a half stars. There was nothing wrong with it whatsoever. Yeah, it was fine. Nothing <laughs> nothing worth going out your way for. Um, match two then, a six-woman tag team match with the Donna Del Mondo team of Himika, Micah, and Natsupoi, or My Himipoi, defeating the Oida Tai team of Konami, Natsukatora, and Saki Kashima at 10 minutes and 38 with Natsupoi getting the winning pinfall over Saki Kashima with a rounding body splash. Uh, Chris, anything to say? Um... I said this to you in text earlier. Oedetai and DDM are the most consistently good faction against each other. Like, we always have a fairly common, decent level. Mm. But they very rarely um, spill into worth seeing. No, I see what I see what you mean. They have they do have very good chemistry together, these two teams. And I think it is because they are quite similar in the way they approach things. They're both very hard-hitting. I mean, you look at the Donna Del Mondo team, you had Himika and Micah, and then on the other team, you had Konami and Natsukatora. So you had that dynamic. And I I think Natsupoi and Taki Kashima have really under undervalued chemistry. I think they have some really, really good sequences. And I say later on, actually, on night two, that I think the chemistry that Saki and Natsupoi have is an illustration of the fact that Saki should be in that high-speed division. Mm-hmm. Now, that's something I wanted to say about the next night. I still don't know. Because they're doing dick all else with her, so I don't know why they're not just having Saki at least be a filler defense for the high-speed, because she fits really well in that. It's like, especially, we said this in the last few podcasts, but she has really good chemistry with Natsupoi. Well, as does Konami, actually. Konami has surprisingly good chemistry with Natsupoi. Hmm. 
Yeah, Nazpo's just great. I think that's the issue. <laughs> I think she's just <laughs> she's a really just good, good wrestler. She's just good with everyone. I mean, it, it's good that Natsupoy got the pinfall here because she hasn't had a lot of pinfall victories in this lead-up to Budokan. And I think in the glut of matches that we've had announced, and let's face it, the fantastic way that Stardom have built this Budokan card short of Mayu versus Yoshiko, um, I think this one sort of got a bit, a little bit lost in the shuffle. And I do wonder how much of that is because Natsupoi hasn't really got that many pinfall victories to actually, you know, seem like a worthy challenger to Azumi. I think the match will be outstanding. I don't think anyone who watches Stardom is sitting here thinking that match is going to be naff. That's the toilet break match. I just think that they needed to build Natsupoi here. And I think a pinfall victory here does help that. Um, I gave it three stars, Chris. What about you? I went, I went two and three quarters version on three. It was, it was good. It was fine. Yeah, agreed. Um, match three then, singles match. Saw a time limit draw, Chris's old friend. A 15-minute time limit draw between B Priestley and Saya Kamatani. Now, call it, Chris. Call it intuition. Call it what you want. Call it instinct. Call it doing podcasts with you for three years. Call it what you want. But I sense that you have issues with this match. I have been very giving to the um, (laughs) time limit draws. I knew it. (laughs) Okay, so I've been saying for the longest time the time limit draws are um, hierarchy maintenance. But don't get why you'd have a time limit draw here when Sai is literally going for a red bow and you should be positioning her just a little bit above B. Like, yeah. for, for example, when B and Micah went to a draw, what, last month, two months ago? Um, I'm completely fine with that. They were being positioned on similar places. Sai was currently above B, so I don't know why he wouldn't just give Sai the win. There's another one. It's like... There's a difference between do, doing it to maintain a hierarchy and doing it because you have nothing else to do with being Siren Magad. And that's yeah. literally what this felt like. This felt like they threw two people out there to have a draw just because we had nothing else to do with them on the card. I agree. I do agree. Um, obviously, you've got B, who's in the main event of night two, and you don't want her to be eating too many pinfalls if she's in your main event defending the tag titles. But... On that same note, you then look at the promo that Saya cuts on night two, where she talks about how people don't see her as a worthy challenger, Utami doesn't see her as a worthy challenger. Not being able to get the pinfall here, or not giving her the pinfall here, doesn't exactly help that. But, on the flip side of that, if that's the story you're telling, that Saya has, I don't want to say looked into a championship opportunity, but maybe isn't as deserving as other people on the roster to get that red belt opportunity, you know, then getting that pinfall victory, spoiler, against Utami on night two, that is an even bigger moment. I mean, you heard the crowd audibly gasp when that happened, when Saya pinned Utami. So I can understand it on one hand, but I can also understand why would you not just give Saya the victory here? And to be perfectly honest, this match was... 90% B. <laughs> B had a mm-hmm. lot of the offense in this match, subverting Sire's offense almost at every turn. I mean, we had a lot of Sire offense right at the end, especially as the match heat up. I think as it heated up as well, it turned into a really good match. 
it just it took a while to get going and you got the impression especially early on that they were filling time to get to that 15 minutes chris mm. yeah we didn't have enough match here to fill 15 minutes and we fought before we've, i'm pretty sure these were fought to a draw before as well so it's not like we don't know how to do it it's, it was just an odd one this like it, it was just an odd one to book to begin with i don't know why you wouldn't just put sire some in another queen's quest tag and be in be in another weather tie tag or vice versa and just have one of them go over a younger talent like yeah. honestly it's a tiny bit baffling like honestly like in terms of in terms of serving the story with Momo, with Utami and Saya, surely it would be a better idea to have Saya in the opener beating the kids in death. Yeah, potentially. Like, and you can actually continue to build um, tension between the two, and then you can put B in the Oedotai tag and just have Saki go up against, I don't know, someone. I don't know. I, I just think there was a better way to structure this. This is like, we said this before but sometimes the undercard of stardom feels like you've put universe mode onto automatic and that's kind of what this feels like i do i do get that i do get that and i know the match is going to come in for not ridicule but a little bit of criticism for that reason but giving the them the benefit of the doubt giving them the benefit of the doubt saya goes into budokan as a massive underdog even more so than micah at the 10th anniversary show in January. Can we both agree that? That Sayat at Budokan against Utami is more of an underdog than Micah was in the 10th anniversary show. We can oh, agree she's that, effect- yeah. She's effectively a no-hoper. Yeah, exactly. But what better way... I mean, you can see what Sayat's is saying. Nobody thinks I'm going to win this. And oh, I can see what she's saying, but I don't think this match served that story at all. I do and I don't. I do and I don't. I would have liked to have seen Sayat get the win especially after a hard-fought match, maybe after 13 minutes, something like that. But with the draw, you know, the whole resiliently refusing to give in, they're trying to build that baby face fire in Sire. Because I think Utami is sort of the de facto heel, bizarrely, in this, because she's so cool, calm, collected, refusing to acknowledge any sort of respect to Sire. So she seems to be the de facto heel in this, like I say. So... I can, can understand I draw a it from drawing. A moment. Can you draw a parallel? I'd love you yeah. to. Okay, so Sami Zayn's ascension to the NXT title sort of had a similar story, where he was going through all these tests to prove that he was worthy of going after the title again. Mm-hmm. He didn't, but when he was going up against, like, he went up against like Tyler O'Neill, Tyler Breeze, um, and like loads of other people who had defeated him over the last year, like Tyson Kidd, etc., etc., etc. He didn't fight them to a draw. He didn't lose to them. Mm. And if you're trying to build, if, like, because the whole point Sai is trying to come up with here is, like, she can be an underdog and still get a fucking win, right? Because B hasn't, and beating B would just plant that seed in your mind. Because, like, yes, Sai would still go into the underdog if she won, as an underdog, if she won this match. I just want to briefly. And this is a really dorky thing, but <laughs> Saya Kamatani at the moment has one of the best winning percentages in stardom. Yeah, she's been building her up. Exactly. So this is going to do little to no damage to her. I mean, before Corrigan... Oh, no, I'm not saying this is. I'm not saying this is doing any damage. I'm just saying I feel like this match wasted my time. Well, yeah, no, I can sort of see that. But 
you know, out of the 12 matches, she's won eight. Mm. So, and she has been the pin getter in multi-man tags or in multi-woman tags. She's been the person getting the pinfall. So, yeah, potentially a bit of a blight, but, you know, if I'm being kind, I can sort of see where we're going with it. And that sort of plays into, like I say, night two. Um, we've already talked about this match more than it needed talking about. Um, what did you give it? Two and three quarters. It was fine. I gave it, it was three. fine. Yeah, I gave it, it three. It was nothing blow away. Um, there was a couple of things, though, that Sai brought out here, not as prominently as in uh, as on night two, but I really enjoyed the reverse Rana out of the Queen's Landing. I thought that was I tremendous. Like, that was very good. Um, he's, Ma- just, he's slowly turning into 2006 Jack Heff. <laughs> I meant to say that. I meant to introduce her as the 2006 Stardom's answer to 2006 Jack Evans. It's ridic- she's going to be pulling out 630s. Um, she's going to turn <laughs> into like Teddy Hat. Stardom are going to have like a cage match, and she's going to be doing triple moon talks off it five times until she throws. Like, it's going to be incredible. <laughs> Uh, match four, then tag team action with the team of Mayweather and Marvelous's Rin Kadakora defeating the Cosmic Angels team of Yunagi Sayaka and Tam Nakano at 14 minutes and 32 seconds. Mayu pinning Yunagi with the Dodon Pa. Uh, Rin Kadakora has had quite a week, Chris, facing Aja Kong in AEW and then teaming with her childhood hero here in Mayweather Uh even How wearing a Mayu hoodie. How old is she? 27. She's older than... How the fuck is Mayu her childhood hero? Well, that is what she said. Mayu's the reason she got into wrestling, apparently. So uh, Okay, well, that's not childhood hero. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. That's because she's younger than you. Oh, everyone's fucking younger than me, it seems, at the moment. Uh, <laughs> you chose to host this fucking... Po- you could have picked anyone, but you chose me. Uh, yeah, and the best... Um, are, um, thumb up and give um, Ring Cat. I've, I've, I'm not sure if I've seen it. And was she in the? Yeah, she was in the six. She one. was in the six one. Um, yeah. But she, yeah, but she was easily like the one who didn't stand up the most because you had Aroha and Hoshizuki, who like Hoshizuki, of course, would go on to like be gift a million times with a million drop kicks. <laughs> um, and Aroha is a beast. So she was kind of the odd, not odd, I don't want to say odd one out, but she. Out, coming out of that six woman, she was definitely the one people were talking about the least. Agreed. Um, but what the, the biggest um, compliment I can give her here is that when Stardom either brings in or um, e- even like just uses outsiders, it can sometimes stand out like an absolute pure, um, absolute cell phone. So you look at like um, in terms of the outsiders who came in to stay, you have like Julia, Unagi, and Mina. Um, to name the three most prominent ones, and apart from like Shuri and Mike, but you know what I mean. Um, it took them a while to acclimatize to stardom to sort of start to fit in. Whereas here, if I, someone was watching a show, they probably wouldn't be able to tell that Rin was an outsider. And it's not even just like people who came to say, because of course Rin didn't come to say she's still weird, marvelous, but um, like Riho. Stood out like a saw thumb. Um, who the girl in blue from the Yokohama show, who I still can't remember the name of. Unimax. Um, yeah. Um, stood out like a saw thumb. It sometimes just happens, and like even like um Yoshiko and Nene, they stand out for obviously different reasons. But you know what I mean. 
So the fact that she, like, if someone was watching this, they couldn't tell she was an outsider. That's kind of cool. That's that's very good for her, especially since she's not been gone that long, has she? Well, four years. That's in in Joshi, that's a fucking century. But <laughs> um, yeah, but so she didn't stand out. Like honestly, Unagi stood out more as the sore thumb in this match than Rin did. But then again, Unagi took most of the offense. I was gonna say that. Um... I thought Rin here was, she was really good. Her and Mayu have tremendous chemistry and I would like to see more of Katakura in stardom. Um, Yunagi here, there was a couple of moments, a couple of timing moments where um, she sort of paused. She was Irish whipped at one point and sort of just stopped dead. And I think a lot of this, she had a mouth bust open at some point during the match. Mm. And I think that sort of threw her which, you know, it can do. Um, but there was one point where Tam is quite obviously pointing at where she needs to be. Um, and I will I will honestly say I think she is getting so much better and that, you know, will bleed into what I think about her match with Mayu on night two. But this was the worst I'd seen her in a while. And I'm, I am just going to point it down to the fact that she was, you know, she was bust open, she was a little bit, you know, disorientated, but there was a couple of really noticeable moments in this match um, where she just sort of stopped. There was communication errors, let's say. Uh, Mayu was a complete heel dickhead in this match, and I think we've said before on this podcast just how much we enjoy dickhead complacent Mayu, and she just completely continues her lack of respect for Nagi, because it, it's a long time before Tam comes in for the hot tag. Like, a ridiculously long time. There's so mm-hmm. much heat on Yunagi. May you eviscerate her. Um, and this continues, obviously, into night two. Um, but after Mayu pins Yunagi, which, by the way, didn't realise that that move was called the Dodenpa. There you go. I just thought it was called a crucifix. Um, to be fair, it never ends the fucking match. So how the fuck ever, are we going to... Ever. Um, yeah, after this just blatant, heel, complacent, arrogant dickhead that Mayu was playing, she then proceeds to cut a super babyface promo instantly afterwards. This is after, by the way, the, after the match where Tam is cradling her friend who's been beaten to shit by Mayu. Mayu walks over and just knees... Tam over in the show of ultimate pettiness. You know, like when you're friends and you've got someone kneeling down and you're like, I'm going to knock them over. And you just slowly knee them so they fall over. That's no, exactly Rob, I, what Mayu did. I don't assault my friends. Why? It's half the what fun. The you, you English just such cunts. Jesus. <laughs> um, Rin basically says she wants to be a Budokan. Mayu says that she can be in the Battle Royal and then remembers that actually it might be full, so she needs to check, which is just <laughs> fucking peak Mayu, that, isn't it? Um, like, I can I can book. Wait, no, I can't book. <laughs> uh, but then she calls in um, Joshi Legend and Marvelous owner Chigusa Nageo. Now, I do just want to quickly say, I potentially undersold Nageo in the previous podcast when I was quickly whipping through the All-Star Cinderella uh, Battle Royal participants. And uh, Matt B425 has given a wonderful, brief, but wonderful summation of why why Nageo is just just this huge thing in Joshi Wrestling. I want to share it with you because it it is tremendous and it's really helped me to understand it as well. 
So he's put, to really understand Chigusa's fame, you have to understand what the top Joshi wrestlers in the 70s and 80s were, also singers and dancers and whatnot. Whilst also being good wrestlers, Chigusa was part of a tag team called the Crush Gals that totally transcended wrestling. They were a giant fad with young girls. I'm talking like Justin Bieber huge. They sold tons of albums and girls would have their posters on their walls. All Japan women's wrestling during that period in the 80s had a lot of girls that came to the match and screamed for the Crush Gals that weren't really wrestling fans. After the cra- Crush Girls... Br- Crush Gals, sorry, I keep saying that wrong, broke up and the fad died off. That's when you saw Akira Hokuto, Bull Nakano, Manami Toyota, and Aja Kong come having grade A brutal matches. The young girl fans taking part in a fad left and you saw more wrestling fans and therefore more men in the crowd. The popularity of all Japan women went down in the 80s, but most consider the 90s to be the golden era of Joshi. After All Japan died, Chigusha ran the biggest promotion, Gaia. Then Gaia died as well. After the old All Japan uh, mainstay started getting old and retiring, Chigusa now owns Marvelous. And whenever they run shows, you'll notice way more women in the crowd than at stardom shows because there's a lot of women that have been fans of Chigusa since the 80s. Uh, Chigusa will sing at Marvelous shows and MC the show. So that is a far better summation of Nageo than what I gave. So that should give you some indication of just how huge a star she was in the set in the um, 80s and the 90s. Um, basically, Mayu brings her into the ring and says, I want to see you wrestle. Um, Nageo thanks Stardom for being so accommodating to Marvelous and says that if there's a lunchbox for her, then she will be at Budokan. She'll be there wrestling. Um and then says that Katakura became a professional wrestler because of Mayu and asks Rossi if she can perform at stardom events. So it's, despite being a heel for the entire match, uh, Mayu, it was a really, really wholesome segment, wasn't it, Chris? It was a nice, I, I, it was a nice little thing to watch. Yes, <laughs> I don't. I like you've said everything. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um. Let's go on to match five then. The first of two title matches on this Corican card. And it was match five, the SWA Undisputed Women's Championship. Sorry, uh, sorry, Shuri, the champion, defeating Azumi at 16 minutes and 26 seconds with the buzzsaw kick. Um, this was tremendous, Chris. This was very good. What I really liked here was... Uh, Azumi basically high speeding herself out of being hit by, with kicks. <laughs> like instead of like just ducking, she'd literally run out the way. <laughs> true, true, yeah. She does. Um, this act, this match kind of just fucked up. It was great. Um, you started off with like the Lucha influence stuff at the start, using momentum work to have everything gun going, and then like Azumi was like, "Oh no, I can't just like nickel and dime my way out of this. I actually need to kick people." And then, like, actually started throwing bombs, which we don't normally see from Azumi. Like, normally her biggest bomb is, like, the um, drop kick, not the, drop, the double stomps, or sometimes the hurricane runner through the ropes. But then here she pulled out a fairly fucking brutal super. It was mad. Um, and then Shiri just sort of kicked her into the ground, which I, I, do, I do like a good kick. <laughs> I... There was a really, really cool dynamic in this match. Like... This all stems from Azumi having beaten Suri in the five star. And basically, Azumi, you know, says, Oh, Suri got beaten by a baby. And you, you get the impression, especially initially, that Azumi's got this ill gotten confidence 
Um, she goes in all guns blazing from the opening bell and gets the initial upper hand during those high-speed uh, opening exchanges. Um, and then she's got a plan going for the arm with the Mystica and the cross break, cross arm breaker and things like that because she wants to try and eliminate the ever-growing arsenal of submission moves that Suri is using. So there's a plan there. However, as the match goes on, you realise that Suri is just that bit too powerful. And even though Azumi has adopted you know, a little bit more of a hard-hitting moveset, the Hurricane Rana through the ropes, that suplex on the outside, you know, the double stomp from the top rope to the outside, which looked horrendous to take. Um, you just get the impression that Suri was beating her down and every little bit of offence that Azumi took, it was wearing her down and wearing her down and wearing her down up until that moment at the end where Azumi is just going for flash pins because it's a case of desperation. It's a case of, if I get hit again, I'm going to get knocked into the first row of the crowd, which she nearly does with one of those knee strikes. It is vicious from I mean, Suri. Also, I mean, also, that's just... She tried to play Shiri's game and then realised she can't, so went back to what she knew how to do. It's kind of like the Sabre versus Osprey dynamic. Where it, they'll yeah. occasionally try to go into each other's game and then realize oh shit i can't i can't do that and go back to where we were there was three very clear parts there was that opening then there was the middle section where like you say azumi tried to almost match suri with her offense realized she couldn't but by the time she'd realized she couldn't she then couldn't get enough of an upper hand to actually make that high speed offense count again which is where those near falls came in at the end and eventually suri knees the face off Azumi before hitting it her with a buzzsaw kick. Um, brutal. It was horrendous, but also it was really, really fun to watch from a sadistic point of view. Um, <laughs> something that... <laughs> something that I will I like say... See, do you like seeing teenagers get beat up? Are you one of those old guys? <laughs> where you're just like, oh, I like seeing the teenagers suffer. Um, something that terrifies me um, is this murder switch that Suri is so good at flicking on and off, and it just makes her infinitely more of a threat, in my opinion. Like, she pins Azumi and is staring cold, almost directly into the camera. And then, so you almost see the red mist clear, and she's then kneeling over Azumi to check she's all right. And it's just how she turns it off and on. It's it's like Kota Ibushi. I think it's better than Ibushi. I think um, Shiri has a wider range of emotions than Ibushi, who basically has three emotions. Angry, indifferent, first trap. Those are his... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I agree with that. I can't, uh, I can't, I can't disagree with that. He you do- can't think of another emotion that Ibushi has ever had. <laughs> um, so... This match has ended, um, and basically, Suri says that her match for Budokan, her title defense for Budokan, is undecided, and she calls out her beloved disciple, Konami, for that match. Konami thanks her, in inverted commas, master, but says that she's in the ring to overcome her and to drag Suri to her submission hell. Now, I, being a Joshi noob, which, you know, I regularly profess on this podcast... It's amazing how the audience knows more than us. To be honest, I love this. I, this is why I love 
Joshi, Twitter, and our Discord because they're just so knowledgeable. It adds a completely different dimension to most matches, and this is no different. Um, I'm going to read from a Twitter feed from at can of can. Let's try that again. At can of Sprite Man, you need to go and check this out because this adds a completely new layer to the Konami and Suri story. It's far more than just being a master and disciple storyline. I want to read you this because it truly is fantastic. So make sure you go and follow them on Twitter, at Can of Sprite Man. Um, so this is what they've put. So pretty much the part that everyone knows, Konami was trained by Kana, who is now Asuka in WWE, and she debuted on a... I don't know if it's Kana or Kana. I've never actually heard it. I've read it loads. Is it Kana or Kana? Let's call it Kana. Um, on a Kana Pro show on February 25th, 2015. Around this time, Konami's show appearances generally revolved around the companies that Kana worked for, mainly being Wave and Reina. Now, eventually, Konami signed a contract with Reina at some point in 2015. Suri at this time was pretty much one of the main people in charge of Reina um, and had a large role in training there. So essentially, Suri is one of Konami's trainers. Um, in September 2015, Kana signed with the WWE and left Japan. Um, and I'll explain the significance of this. During this period, Konami started to struggle since she had moved from Hiroshima to Tokyo on her own to train and live with Kana. And now she was essentially on her own. Um, and she's quoted as saying, I didn't know what to do. I had no place to stay. I thought, what a cold city Tokyo is. And I was just trying to do my best. Um, so this left her with a feeling of abandonment. However, Suri was the one who helped her through this, which is reflected in the letter she wrote to Suri during the Nippon Budokan press conference, which I'll go through in a minute. Now, at this point, Konami now treats Suri as what she sees as an ideal wrestler and what she wants to become. Uh, Konami left Reina in mid-2016 to forge her own path and join GPS promotions before finally joining Stardom, while Siri... Siri, why do I keep calling her that? What is wrong with me today? <laughs> Fucking true. hell. My Meanwhile, Siori focused on MMA and signed with the UFC. Um, flash forward to 2020. Uh, Siori and Konami are finally reunited in a wrestling ring when Siori sta- uh, joins Stardom as a member of DDM and they have a chance to face off uh, during the Cinderella tournament where Konami lost. In a blog post, Konami lamented about how she was unable to show her growth in this match as the submission move that she clearly relied on, the Triangle Lancer, was easily defeated by Suri. Uh, another flash forward and Suri has beaten B for the SWA World title, then goes on to successfully defend it against Julia Momo and Azumi before challenging Konami to a match at the Nippon Budokan. Uh, Konami, during this time period, has betrayed T- uh, Tokyo Sab Squad and joined Oida Tai, which we know. Um, on Twitter, Konami mentions how the Suri that she had long admired was almost non-existent now, and that she just felt like any other wrestler within DDM, which I think is important, you know, We've talked a lot about how Suri is going to emerge from the shadow of Julia. Um, And I don't think, you know, I don't think she's lost in the shuffle by any stretch of the imagination. She's phenomenal. She's putting on phenomenal matches. But if she wants to ascend to that next level, she does need to come out of that DDM um, sort of shadow. And Konami goes on to say um, she wanted to see the side of Suri that she admired to return, not the one that acts as a second to her friends in DDM or plays and jokes around at press conferences, which links back to the reason Konami betrayed Tokyo Cyber Squad. Final couple of things. Um, In the past, Konami has said that strength doesn't come from being friends with others in the rings. It holds you back, which is why she joined Oedatai, as it was full of betrayers, so she wouldn't get too attached to them as they could betray her at any time. Um, Essentially, the match at Nippon Budokan is more 
than about the SWA World Championship. It's about Konami showing Suri that the path she found since their time apart was one that could truly allow her to surpass her as the ideal wrestler. Now, I don't know about you, but that just adds not just a layer, an entire duvet to <laughs> the Suri and Konami feud going into Budokan. And I am buzzing for this an match en- now. An entire duvet. <laughs> you get my meaning, though. It's, it's more than a layer. It's more than a layer. It's just, it, it, it just adds loads. It's objectively a layer. <laughs> it's, more, it's more than a layer, though. It's more than that. It's a master and disciple storyline. It's about wanting to surpass your master. It's about wanting to show them that you've progressed into something else that you haven't been able to show them yet. It's about being embarrassed that your master is supposedly no longer that wrestler that you've idealized for that long. There are lots of moving parts to this. And it's one of the things that makes this one of the matches that I am most looking forward to. And I didn't think that would be the case going into the show when you look at some of the matches on the card. Um, I just want to read the letter. It's only a couple of lines long. This is the letter that Konami actually wrote to Suri and read her during the press conference. Suri, the first time we met was when I was a trainee. Since then, a lot has happened. I debuted. The people I believed in abandoned me, threw me away, and I became alone on my own. You were the one person who didn't abandon me, even though I bothered you so much. When I talked to you about wanting to make a new path for myself, you went and talked, connected with other people on my behalf. As my senpai and as a person, you took care of me so, so much because you were there. That's why I can stand here as a wrestler today. The way you think, the way you fight as a wrestler, as a person, is something I truly look up to. And then she finishes off the letter by saying, "Um, That's why at Budokan, I'll show you a new, stronger Konami. With everything you taught me, I will surpass you. And yeah, just absolutely tremendous summary. This shit, this shit is a sports anime. <laughs> it's it's incredible. So go and follow them on Twitter at Can of Sprite Man. Um, just a tremendous summation of that feud. So yeah, really, really good. Um, going back to the match between Azumi and Shuri, which it seems ages ago that we were actually talking about it. Um, what did you give it, Chris? Um, I give it four. I really, really, really enjoyed it. I give it four and a quarter. I think um, it's a quarter star. Um, I think <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't start with me, boy. Um, I think that we are going to see Azumi challenge for more titles like this, and I'm all here for it. I'm all here for it. She's far more than just a high speed wrestler, which is excellent. Really, really impressed, and that goes double for the match that we're about to talk about now which was the main event of the first night at Corican, and it was for the Wonder of Stardom title, Julia the Champion defeating Starlight Kid in 20 minutes and 23 seconds with the glorious driver. Holy fucking shit, Chris. But, that's such crass language. You called Boris Johnson a cunt, a cunt. not an hour ago. He is a cunt, though. Holy fucking shit, Chris, this match absolutely banged in all manner of the word, in all, start- every sense of that word. You've started using the word banged. Um, are you proud of me? No. <laughs> Go back. <laughs> um, no, this is fucking great. So, I, I said I was proper podcast, this is my match of the year now. And I don't want to put it down, but it has been a slow year so far. 
like no real stone cold stone cold classic so far just a lot of really good matches mm. um this stands out among them and it's weird it stands out in terms if someone just watched this and like weren't watching stardom over time like we are i wouldn't expect them to think this is match of the year like at all i think if you just dipped into it like a lot of people i follow on twitter chat I'm, to be fair for the most part i'm also a cherry picker but this, like, I think we appreciate when we get out of this match is you don't get, often get very, like with the exception, exception of whenever we're advertising something in stardom nowadays, you don't get very much set heel face dynamics. It's been a while since we've had such a set in stone heel face dynamic in a main event. Because you look at Mayo's reign, like Jungle wasn't a heel, Shiri wasn't a heel, um, neither was Momo, neither was Aroa, things like that, but none of them were heels. Whereas here, Julia's obviously the heel, Starlight's obviously the face, and Julia's really good at being a heel. Oh, she's so good. It's like, so I remember, good. I, remember that. I was sitting there thinking, because I had, I'd heard a lot of hype from this match before I watched it, and it was because, like, I don't want to be mean to Stardom Twitter, but basically every Stardom match gets a lot of hype before I, get, um, before I end up seeing it. Mm-hmm. So like sometimes it you just, I just get to it and it's like huh well that was just okay like but like I get so I get to this and I remember for like the first three or four minutes I'm like eh, this is fine and then Julia started ripping Starlight's mask off yeah <laughs> and then it's like oh shit okay because that's weird because like there's nothing quite as cool in wrestling as a ripped mask no and honestly I think blood would have put this over the top. But <laughs> are you saying that 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 lit, little last bit to make it the perfect <laughs> match is for Starlight what? to add some color? Yeah, like have you ever heard of? Um, well, I think it was Doctor Wagner versus Blue Demon Junior at Triple Mania a few years ago, and um, they were attacking each other with hammers. It was fucking amazing. Anyway, um, here, yeah, yeah so. As soon as that happened, Starlight became a sympathetic babyface, which she hasn't been recently. She's been a like a bright little kid. We said that a few times, haven't we? Yeah, but it's almost like she got into this match and she was like, "Oh shit, I'm out my depth for you." <laughs> so like, you just wanted to like find her feet because it's like I don't want this child basically <laughs> to be out her depth. So like, when she starts fighting back, it's like when you know what it was a bit like. This is gonna sound strange. Hang on, no, you're not an uncle. So I went to my niece's sports day a few years ago. And because I was literally the only one who was free. And um, my niece had a slow start in the one of the races and then brought it back. Never felt so proud. This gave me a similar feeling, except not quite as intense because I'm not related to either of these people. Can I ask a question? Well, two questions. Um, one, were you drunk? Uh, at a kid's sports day. Stop trying to sleep into my... <laughs> like, I was only slightly buzzed. <laughs> but there's always that stereotype of the drunk uncle that turns up at sports. I was just wondering if you were pandering to the stereotype. No, I don't pander to stereotypes. I don't like cliches, Rob. <laughs> um, and secondly, did you take place in the... Did you take part in the adults' race? Um, no, I wasn't allowed. It was only parents who were allowed to take part. <laughs> Are you a parent? No. It's like, I get away. Parent, it's like... Like and I was what eighteen at the time. I was like, do I look like a father for <laughs> <a> seven year old? <laughs> what are you doing at this school? 
Um, no, because I literally had to. Because someone was like, "What are you doing, Kate?" I'm like, "That's my niece." And I literally had to go to a fucking teacher to prove it, it was madness. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, in terms of this match itself, but like those, we talk about Starlight not having offense but hits had she has been improving with that but oh my god she did the thing that ray horace does for roll up from the top ow fucking ouch it's weird this is one of those matches that i was so into that i didn't take notes for it and yet it's still completely engraved in my mind it's it's one of the matches like we talk about how good Stardom is in ring, but sometimes it's it's just it's just a good match. You know, it's it there isn't a story there, it's just a good match. Look at Aroha versus Maeve. Exactly. Match, yeah. Perfect example. Uh, to be honest, really both both matches really. The second one less so, but you know here I lived and breathed with every strike that Starlight Kid took. By the end of this match, you were willing pleading for Starlight Kid to win, to kick out. And actually, you listen to that clap crowd, I have not heard a clap crowd that hot for a kick out as when Julia kicks out of Starlight Kid's offense. They were so convinced that Starlight had it won, and the crowd, a crowd who have been muted for a year, through no fault of their own, obviously. They're not Sendai. Um, But... (laughs) Gotta get it in, mate. Gotta get it Every in at least once. Every fucking opportunity. You call me out when I fucking have a running thing. Um, <laughs> like you started a fucking alarm when I ha- <laughs> when I had a running enjoyment of a wrestler, and then you just insult Sendai every time. Like Jesus Christ, just go to Sendai and piss on something already. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've, I've never heard a clap crowd so invested in a baby face as they were with Starlight Kid. Just. The way we started, like Julia saying that she's going to show the naked face of Starlight Kid, condescendingly referring to Kid as the symbol of stardom's growth. And then they begin with the strike, so they start like Julia did with uh, Yunagi during her trial series. Okay, let's see what you can do. Okay, hit me in the chest, hit me again. But actually, the more the Starlight Kid hit, the more Julia was actually like, fuck, shit. Oh no, and she was actually selling a lot more. She's like, fuck, I'm, this is actually hurting. And the more Starlight got into the match, Julia thinks this is a filler defense. Let's be perfectly honest about this. She has got one eye on Tam. And in fact, Stardom have got one eye on the Tam Julia match at Budokan. They announced a stipulation before Julia had even had this match, which goes to show how little Julia is given to this match. Yet the more that Starlight Kid kicks out, the more resilient Starlight Kid is, the more that Starlight Kid actually works her way into this match, you see Julia become a little angry, maybe even a little more embarrassed by the fact that this upstart, the, in inverted commas, the symbol of stardom's growth, is having the audacity to kick her, to hit her, to match her strike for strike. And that's why Julia goes for the mask. Okay, you want to do this? Let's fucking embarrass you. Okay, let's bring everything back. Let's just remind everyone who the alpha female is in this fucking match, shall we? And it was like that throughout. Every time Julia attempted something, Starlight Kid seemed to be able to subvert it. I mean, we had that amazing little sequence where she hits a code breaker, her variant of the Northern Lights suplex, and that, like you said, the code red off the top, off the second rope, the Keychan bomb. And Julia's like, how is this happening? 
I'm fucking Julia, all right? How is this happening to me? And eventually, Starlight Kid just can't keep up. She's beaten down. Julia has literally beaten the piss out of her, locked her in that submission for ages and ages and ages. Kid has expended all energy trying desperately to get out of this submission hold. And whereas before, with someone like a Yunagi, Julia takes the time to finish the match. Takes pride in finishing that match. Not here. Headbutt, glorious driver. I am not being embarrassed here. I am not losing this match. And I think at the end, when she goes for that mask and rips it off, it's almost a sign of embarrassment at the fact that Starlight got as close in this match as she actually did. And we've talked a lot about, well, I've talked a lot about Julia here. Starlight was phenomenal in this match. She was flawless in this match. Everything, pardon me, I've got hiccups. Everything seemed seamless. All her offense seemed seamless. It seemed more hard-hitting, which was the issue we had, what, April, May time last year? She just seems to have developed so much. And let's be honest, she could quite easily be holding this white belt, and I don't think one person would bat an eyelid at the way that Starlight Kid is now wrestling. I, just, I love this match. I thought it was absolutely tremendous. Um, post-match, Julia rips off, like I say, the remainder of the mask as Donna Del Mondo, apart from Suri, crucially apart from Suri, hold the rest of Star's back, and then Julia finishes it off by saying that she'll be waiting for Starlight Kid to try again. That's something I meant to mention, is that... Oh, Christ, I just dropped my Dalek. Um... <laughs> um that's something I forgot to mention, is that... that you dropped I... your Dalek? But... No, I very clearly mentioned that, Robert. Keep up. Um, is that I've included the post-match um, angle as part of my rating. Because <laughs> okay. I think that's as much a part of the match here than it, the actual match. Hmm. Like, and tr- like, There's other matches like that. I think like um, Lesnar versus Rollins at Mania. Or... <laughs> Guevara versus Darby Allen at Revolution, where the where the pre-match or post-match angles was much a part of the match here than the match itself. Now, the driver she... said on our just sorry piggybacking on your point just for a second. Now, the driver said in our um, Discord that Julia has managed to garner more heat in the last week and a half, two weeks than Aida time managed the entire of last year because she has a clear fucking goal. That's why, because she has a clear go on the thing she does actually goes towards it. Like, because it's not even a co- it's pro- it's not even a coincidence that Tam's last single shoot before um before this was with Stars and consequently with Starlight, who she kind of struggled against at the anniversary show. Mm. And then Julie is in here going, "Look, I'm going to easily defeat Starlight. Like, I'll easily defeat." Tam, that's not co- like everything here sort of lines up. Whereas when Oedotai was doing that stuff during the five star, it achieved nothing. It was going towards nothing. Mm. And like we, that's why we're not bitching about Oedotai over time now, because when we have a DQ, it kind of makes sense. When they they actually try, they're doing well in chaotic situations. Most, um, at least a couple of them have stories going on. That's why 
Julia's getting more heat because she has a story and she's playing to that story. You think about that match at Budokan now. Julia versus Tam. You are begging Tam to win. They've done such a good job at building this and Starlight Kid has effectively been a pawn in this. Yeah, it's so weird seeing how Tam's been like a slight heel since November. Mm. So like that's a weirdly quick turnaround and it makes me feel weirder about the Cosmic Angels as a stars feud. The only thing is, and this we'll talk a little bit more about this um, as we preview Budokan. Tam has to win. Oh yeah, imagine if she doesn't win. I mean, this is great from Julia. This is tremendous work. Tremendous heel work. It's amazing. I mean, it's made a tremendous uber babyface out of Starlight Kid. It's made a tremendous babyface out of Yunagi. And it's made the biggest dickhead heel, but also the coolest heel out of Julia. It's made for some of the best promos. Absolutely. (laughs) She's just been on another level, Julia, this year. She's probably my f- um, favorite thing about Stardom right now. And if you'd have told me that a year ago, I wouldn't have fucking Exactly. No, I'm with you 100%. The booking falls apart if Julia wins against Tam. Yeah, it would be a bit like Naito and Okada at West Kingdom 12, I think, if that happened. It's the end of the Because you can't really have... Well, to be fair, Julia as a heel hasn't been going on that long. <laughs> like I don't think, but the they NWO never got their comeuppance. Is what I'm saying. If but, Julia ends but, but up having a head shaved, I wouldn't say she. It's best she wouldn't get a comeuppance. It's a case of here where Tam's been chasing for the best part part of the year. We've sort of done all that you can do with her chasing about the storyline, feeling drawn out. This is the time for Tam to win. If they go, if, like if they had to run this feud again, Tam has to win it. Because what well, yeah. isn't the only? <clears throat> I think Tam is. I think. We're, Equal victories, aren't they? Tam had one in the tournament and one in... No, she didn't. I'm talking out my ass. Um, it, right. Oh, yeah. It's, it had three matches. They're not tied up. Julia currently has a winning record. Tam beat her in the five-star. Julia beat her in the title matches. Mm-hmm. Am I remembering that correctly? Um, She beat Tam to get the white belt. She beat mm-hmm. her at Yokohama. And then Tam beat her in the five star. Okay. And then Tam beat her in the five star. So this is the third match. Julia is currently two one. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's no nothing to be gained if Tam loses here, from my perspective. We might find something else, but like, I don't think it's ever going to be quite sweet. Like no. again, like I'm like going back to the now comparison. It was good when he won at Rust Kingdom fourteen. It would have been absolute scenes if he won at twelve. Yeah, the entire arc was built for Wrestle Kingdom Cause, 12. Because I'm calling it out, if Tam loses, she's going to be lost in the woods for a while because this feels like her story. Like, Absolutely, yeah. Because think about when, again, going back, back to now, what did he do for those two years? He had a weird feud with Jericho. He had a mediocre feud with Suzuki. He dicked about with Tai Chi for a year. Oh my god, that Tai Chi match. So, like, up. nothing Naito did in that time fucking mattered. Exactly. If exactly. Tam loses... Because this feels like Tam's feud right now, that may, but the May one feels completely different. That doesn't feel like it's meant to be a defining feud. This does. Yeah, 100%. If Tam loses here, where the fuck does she go? She has to win. She has to win. I mean, not just this. You remember that first vindication of 
this is for Arissa. Mm-hmm. That's gone now. That's gone. It, Tam, Tam need, Tam need, Tam's just like this consumer because she's at the point of putting her hair on the line. She offered a, she offered a death match, and quite frankly, I'm annoyed that AEW's getting a fucking death match, but we're not getting a fucking <laughs> death match. Her promos have been unreal as well. She has mm-hmm. been hers. Whereas Julia is just spitting venom, Tam is just this emotional wreck, and it's just it's helped that that promo where she said, "I would put my bones, my blood, anything." on the line to get my hands on you once more. You're like, do you know what? I could have seen this five times before Budokan. I just want to see it again. I think what's best is um, when she does it like after after a main event when she's already wrestled. Because it looks like she's been on like a rough weekend in Rapungi or something. (laughs) She does do disheveled really well. She does disheveled really (laughs) well. Like, and believe me, I know disheveled is basically my Look, that's basically how I look all the time. <laughs> it's my go-to wardrobe. Yeah, like, literally, if I'm wearing the right hoodie, I look homeless. I have been mistaken for a homeless man on the street. Uh, speaking of someone who's been on a night out with you, several nights out with you, I, I can attest to that. No, um, which I've literally been mistaken for a homeless man. I was once sitting around with a coffee cup and someone put two quid. <laughs> I felt so guilty. I was walking up and down... I was literally walking up and down the streets of Berwick upon Tweed looking for a homeless person because I'm like, I can't keep this money. This is meant for a homeless person. I'm going to give it to a homeless person. <laughs> oh, the disparity between the story and then going, I was walking along the streets of Berwick upon Tweed. Oh, fuck oh, off. Amazing. Oh, oh, you know, when you get you laugh that much, you get pain in the back of your head. To be oh. fair, I think that might be ear infection. Oh, that might be my ear infection, to be fair. I still can't eat out my right ear, but there we are. Um, anyway, Chris, yeah. the all-important wrestling. We seem to have got a little bit distracted from this match. <laughs> what did you What did you give it? Um, I gave it four and three quarters. I think it's match of the year so far. Like, not just in stardom, I mean, like, in general. Match of the year, the only thing that come, things that come remotely close are the seedling tag with Sire and Momo. Um, the Ueno Sakaguchi match from DDT and O'Reilly Bala, maybe. See, the seedling tag match, it was good. It was a really good match, but I know you liked that more than I did. Um, this was another plane for me. Um, I'm, I'm flipping and flopping between four and three quarters and five stars. Story driven matches are. My jam. It's up there with big hoss fights. It's why I know people are bored of you know Shin- uh, Shingo and Ishii and New Japan. But I could watch that shit all day. That's just my kink. But up there are just—I uh, do—just um, <laughs> story-based, story-driven, emotion-filled matches like this are just stuff that I love. I've watched this match twice now because I just—I I needed to see it again. To make sure I hadn't just overhyped it in my head, and I didn't. And you're, add- and you're adding it to the watch along wheel. I'm adding it I've to got- our watch along wheel I've on our other podcast. Not put in fucking stardom matches because it's like, oh, we'll be rejected. But then you're just doing- that's, that's annoying. I'm going to start putting stardom matches in. Fuck you. It's amazing what you can do when you run the podcast. Anyway, <laughs> let's uh, let's move on then to night two. Uh, Corrigan again. Um, 
uh, night two in front of 579 people, so 30 more people at the venue for this show. We started with a singles match, uh, Gokik and Death defeating Lady C at 4 minutes and 31 seconds with the victory roll. Um, Chris, I think I speak for both of us when I say that every Gokik and Death sort of unfortunately tends to mesh into one at this point. What are you talking about? She In this one, normally she goes to the right first and says death. Here, she went to the left first and said death. Anyway, um, <laughs> we did see a little bit of growth from Lady C, who, like you said, she's coming on tremendously for a rookie. I think she looks really good. Um, she's still without a win, bear in mind, but she is still doing she's really, still really well. She's match profile. She still hasn't got a cage match profile. That is even worse. I think that's worse than not having a win. Um, the fact that she hasn't got a cage match profile. Everyone has a cage match profile. Um, the thing that I did like from this match, and it will literally be the only thing I talk about, is um, Lady C learning from previous recent pinfalls from the clown. Um <laughs> Because she actually managed to counter the O'Connor roll, which has been putting her away in previous matches. So that makes make her the smartest person in the Saddam roster, because I swear to God, everyone fucking falls to the clown. Everyone. Everyone. However, um did prove fruitless because uh, Death managed to counter a choke slam into an admittedly very smooth victory roll for the win. Um but yeah, Lady C looking good. I gave you two stars, Chris, nothing really else to talk about. Correct, yes. Um, match two, another singles match. Momo Watanabe defeated Ruaka at five minutes and 44 seconds with the cross-face chicken wing. Um, this... <laughs> this was... It was it was there. Momo beating a child. It was... There's little to nothing else about it. Um, Momo did at least build Ruaka's power up in her pre-match promo, said the best way to do it was to keep it down. Uh, which she did, um, but yeah, Ruaka never really had a prayer in this match. Um, anything else to add, Chris? Um, no. <laughs> Fair enough. I gave it two and a quarter stars. Um, nothing really to write home about. This was the first match I had a decent amount of notes on, to be perfectly honest. Match three, tag team match. The Awida tag team of Natsuka Tora and Saki Kashima defeating Donna Del Mondo, Siori and Natsupoi at 10 minutes and 30 seconds with the Kishikasai. Um, if this is the Awida tie that we are going to have over the next couple of months, then I am fine with it because this was a really good match. Don't get, me wrong, don't get me wrong, the old bit of cheating is fine, but, you know during a bigger show, and touch wood, they are starting to find the balance. I mean, I'm fine with a bit of bollocks. I'm a Tai Chi fan. That's true. <laughs> that is true. Um, the problem is, was like, the context surrounding it. The context surrounding, like, of the current um, Awedatai um, bullshit works. It's fine. And they're not throwing away big matches for no reason, so it's we're com- I'm completely fine with it now. Otherwise, I'm neutral on this. You've seen one Awedatai DDM ta- um, undercard tag, you've seen them all, but it's always decent to watch. Yeah, I mean, sure, you had new red and green gear tonight. Are you a fan of the red and green gear? I, I do like a red and green colour scheme. It's very festive. It is very <laughs> It's quite festive. <laughs> um, I thought her and Tora had a really good exchange. Um, it's it's a chemistry that's that I didn't really expect to work, but really does. Um, and then we've already talked about Saki and Natsupoi's, um really good chemistry, and that led to a really, really, really good closing stretch. 
Um, I actually gave this three and a half. I really okay. enjoyed this match. I, I I only gave it three. <laughs> <gasps> what? Never mind. Sure, we'll live. Um, match okay. four then was uh, the third match in Unagi Sayaka's seven-match trial series with Mei Watani defeating Unagi in 12 minutes and 54 seconds with the fucking stiffest dragon suplex I've ever seen. It broke its own count because Unagi bounced that high off the canvas. Her shoulders came up off the bloody canvas. She hit it that hard. It was ridiculous. I have very seldom wondered what it would be like if Unagi got mugged. And I found out. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, it's exactly this. Oh my god, the poor woman took an absolute beating. An absolute beating. May pulled an Arisa and did two things. One, looked directly down the camera before the tombstone. Which was tremendous. Second of all, pulling her up by the half of the dragon. Now, Arisa did it better, but I still appreciate it. <laughs> oh, dickhead. Um, but, he, but she did do it better. She, she did do it. Right she down... does do it better. I'll give you that. She does. I, I, I miss Arisa. I miss Arisa as well. Um, we talked on the podcast um, last week, actually, I've when we talked about <laughs> the match that she had with Azumi, Unagi. Um, And we talked about how each of these seven matches that she's going to have uh, would be different from the last. And nowhere is that better illustrated than during this match. So he started with Julia, who's looking to embarrass her. Uh, Azumi looked to show off. And Mayu outwardly does not care about this match. She has no respect for Unagi and goes as far as to say she isn't bothered and wants it to end quickly during her opening promo. Remember, by the way, that Unagi was the straw that broke the camel's back when it came to the Cosmic Angels versus Stars feud. Mina started it all off, but it was Unagi who finally was the last straw for Mayu. So you've got that added layer of venom to everything that Mayu does in this match. And... (laughs) Unagi attempts to get the hot start by ploughing into Mayu with a dropkick, and that's almost the only thing she delivers. Save for a few very, very minor hope spots, Mayu completely destroys Unagi. But not in the same way that Julia did, because there's a, there's a different story between Julia and Unagi and Mayu and Unagi. And I think this, basically, this was more of a systematic pull-apart. I mean, you've got the hard strikes, she works the elbow, she takes the padding off, you can see all of the strapping on Yunagi's arm, and Mayu's wrenching it, and you've got Yunagi screaming in pain. One thing I will say, and one thing that's been really obvious throughout this so far, and this, bear in mind, I would just like to say this is before I've seen the result of the Konami match, so this could completely throw what I've said out of the window, Um, but Yunagi hasn't submitted yet. Mm. And that resilience that she's building, I mean, you look at um, Azumi, whose offense is almost entirely submission-based. She didn't submit there. She didn't submit when Mayu pretty much sort of terminator-focused on her elbow. 
So she's building that, and the crowd are always behind her, and she's doing a tremendous job at being this underdog babyface. Let's not undersell this. Yunagi's doing a very, very, very good job. A couple of questions, Chris. Do you think Yunagi wins any of these seven matches, first of all? And secondly, do you think, again, neither of us have seen the results of Shinkiba where she's faced Konami, so again, this could go straight out of the window if you know the results of the Shinkiba match, but assuming that we don't know it, which we don't, do you think she's going to submit throughout the seven-match series? Um, I think I think it's a possibility for the Konami match could be she goes into a triangle lancer and passes out. She did do that with the yes, the uh, sleeper hole for Julia. Mm-hmm. She so wasn't that, submitted though. So, so that could be. For, I I don't see them making a tap out. I think that could be like the one good thing she has coming out of it because I don't think she's getting a win. No, I don't. I don't. I mean, I know that she's got um, she's got Himika next, then Konami. Um, I don't off the top of my head. I think she might have Suri. That's I can't. Hurt. Yeah, I can't remember who the last one is. I can't remember. Um, it'd be good if it was Tam though. I think that'd Old be a Tam. good way to end it. Um, now bearing in mind as to. I've, I've just said we shouldn't undersell how well Yunagi's doing as a babyface, bearing in mind that Mayu is my favourite wrestler in any promotion, and even I was rooting for Yunagi at the end. You know, that goes to show how how well these matches are I may be doing their job. I was kind of just enjoying the mugging. <laughs> it was vicious. That fucking dragon suplex, man. How high she bounced, it was unreal. Yeah, take no Kenny Omega, <laughs> who basically <laughs> hugs his opponent to the fucking ground. Um, I don't know why I'm calling out Kenny Omega, because I do like his time drive. Anyway, continue. No one has put uh, Yunagi away with their primary finisher either, or even their secondary no. finisher. So, no. To be fair, the, the Dragon is the secondary finisher for me. More than the um, Dragon Sleeper? No, that's more of something she pulls out when she doesn't think she can get them over. I think that's more an alternative finisher than a second finisher. I think you're just splitting hairs now. <laughs> I have a lot of hair to split. <laughs> you do. <laughs> Homeless bastard. <laughs> oh, that story. Honestly, I'm still laughing about that story. Oh, amazing. Um, match five. Um, the team of Azumi and Mei Hoshizuki defeating the Stars team of Saeeda and Starlight Kid at 11 minutes and 6 seconds with Azumi Sushi. Uh, the writing was on the wall here, Chris, from the moment that Starlight Kid said that their tag team was undefeated. <laughs> Sushi said that, it. you were like, yeah, you're losing. Just, qu- just quietly note it and then don't and keep your fucking mouth shut. Because <laughs> you're going to lose. Um, I thought this match was great. Um my favourite moment and I know that it was gift quite a lot is Starlight Kid's variation of the Indian Deathlock which she got into just so seamlessly yeah, so smoothly not <laughs> it was ridiculous it was like a doodle and she was in it it was like those people that can tie their laces by just sort of swinging one hand around it and suddenly they're done it oh, was I'm incredible who don't, I'm jealous of people who don't struggle with their laces <laughs> I thought you were going to say that. I, I, I'm I jealous of people who have laces. I was like, you can't still have Velcro, Chris. You're 25. They don't, I don't, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't. I'm 24. 
That's the issue you have with that statement. Yes. <sighs> Not old yet. You start dying at 25. I don't want to be 25. Jesus Christ, mate. What the fuck are you doing to me? <laughs> No, I mean physically. I mean, like physically, not emotionally. No, that's not helping at all, is it? Uh, what do you think of this match? Um, I I really like. I I love seeing Hashizuka whenever she shows up. But I'm still not going to watch Marvel. because fuck me. There's a lot of wrestling to get to. I don't need more. Absolutely. Um, the but I I really enjoyed this. Um, just both for all from start to finish. It was basically like a 2004 X Division match. Yeah, I can see that. Especially like a TV one where they're just sort of going for flash pins the whole time. It was really good. I think the high-speed style really works in a tag format. Because mm-hmm. um, it means you're not gassing yourself out very quickly because it's shared between the load. Um, sometimes Ida, because she's not normally going that fast, like visibly struggled to keep up. Especially initially, yeah, I noticed that as well. She get she did get into the groove though. But that's basically the main thing holding this back was Ida isn't made for going fast. You know, you don't you wouldn't put Raptor in a. I knew you were going to mention Raptor because she's Raptor. Changed my you haven't yet changed my mind. Anyway, you, you do want... you think that emblem on the side of her shorts is Raptor? Now I think it's a gorilla, Chris. I mean, I didn't say anything about it being Raptor apart from that one time I did, but we're going to ignore that. Um, but here's what I'm thinking. She's Reptar. Anyway, moving on. Um, yeah, so it just kept going and it didn't really escalate. It was kind of just the same level the whole way through, but like for an 11 minute match, was completely fine. It reminded me a tiny bit of Astronauts versus Iwamoto and Guy, I can't remember the name of, from January 2nd in All Japan. Oh, yeah. In ter- you're speaking like you've seen the fucking match. I know for a fact you haven't seen the fucking match. Don't try, don't sit there and pretend you know what I'm talking about. I did it very sarcastically, mate. I've got no fucking idea what you're on about. Um, but anyway, um, kind of remember that where it's just sort of like a, a brief 11 minutes where it was just really fun throughout. Can't complain. Yeah, the joy is hard to come by nowadays, so take it when you can. I actually completely agree with you. I've said that Ida recovers really well from the aforementioned timing issues and delivers a really compelling closing stretch with Azumi. And actually, despite the fact that she's not built for the high-speed sort of action-packed, fast-paced um, sort of workings, she had the, the flash pin reversals didn't feel contrived mm-hmm. because it was helped by Ida's sort of, I don't want to say rougher, style but they didn't look as sort of polished and that sort of gave it a realism and i really enjoyed that i thought the last couple of the last minute or so was really really good between azumi and sayurida um i hope we get more of may hoshuki and i hope we get more of this tag team at azumi and may um i think they've got really good chemistry mm-hmm. and i think it's ta- made only 18 <laughs> when again they're both only 18, is she aren't they? i was just yeah, gonna she- say i know azumi is um, I'm, I just looked it up. Everyone in, um, but everyone in this match, but Azumi's under five foot. That doesn't surprise. Is Azumi not five foot? How how tall is Azumi? She is, according to CageMatch.net, um, five foot one. Oh well, <laughs> for the sake of one inch. I mean, one inch can make all the difference. Don't laugh. Resist the urge. Resist the don't urge. Laugh. Don't Resist laugh. the don't urge. Don't laugh. Don't laugh. Uh, <laughs> we're good Christian boys. We're good Christian boys. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, like, I don't, like it's hard to review this match when it's kind of just 
a fun match. It's kind of just a really fun match. Like, there's no great narrative to speak of. There's no yeah. real. Um, I did like for look. I did like how the handshake sort of set up everyone's character at the start. Like, May's just happy to be there, and Azumi is reluctant to shake hands with Saya, but will happily shake hands with Starlight. I noticed that it was really good. It was, was very was subtle, like, but I liked it. That was a nice little wrinkle. Um, but otherwise, yeah, this is kind of just a really fun match for you to go your way to check out. Like the high sp- the um rate of hits to misses in the um high speed division is basically ninety nine to one. Like I can't think of a high speed match that missed in the last few months. I um. Azumi versus Uniyama was it was okay. It was a good match. I don't it, think it missed. No, it, no, it didn't miss. No, it didn't miss. Um, no, I can't. To be fair, all the high speed matches I've seen have been decent matches. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, what did you give it, Chris? Um, I gave it three and three quarter. I thought it was really, oh. really good. I gave it three and a half. Oh, but it's very rare that you're like more. But you're more negative. Than we've been we've been quite close in our ratings today, like yeah, more or less weird. the same throughout. This will be different though. Um, match six, four way match: Saya Kamatani defeating Utami Hayashishita, Julia, and Tam Nakano at 14 minutes and three seconds. Uh, Saya pinning Utami finally by debuting the Springboard Hurricane Rana. Um, now I know you've got thoughts on this, Chris. Would you like to share them with the group? Can I draw a weird parallel? Um, sure. Okay, so here's what I think. Um, so earlier this week, I watched a lot of the rings for the first time. Actually, it was yesterday. I watched Fellowship of the Rings for the first time. And it couldn't really live up to the hype that people had given it because people kept telling me it was perfect. But I kind of got that, that with this match, except on a smaller scale. And and by that smaller scale, I mean you texted me earlier today, going, "Oh, the Fatal Four Way was really good." I don't think that's <laughs> overhyping it, Chris. <laughs> Kinell, I don't think I wouldn't put the really there. The Fatal Four Way was good. It's not like I said this is the match of the year candidate. Move over Omega Okada. Oh, Omega Okada, I haven't fought this year. So Fuck you, yeah. Masawa. We've got Saya Kamatani <laughs> defeating Julia Tam and Yutami in fourteen minutes. Hey, if Saya pulled out a fucking demo flosion, the scenes, the fucking scenes, be better than Mio's. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, I, what I did like about it's funny when this match happened. I was like, oh, that's a bit of a random match, and it took me like a minute to click. It took me like the entrances basically to click that this was the two main events of Budokan. Because <laughs> because the way it was put on Stardom, because they weren't put next to each other, it was like in a weird it was so it took me a while to click but when I clicked oh that makes sense I do like that they all went for their individual opponents beforehand like how Tam and Julia square up and then Saya runs through them to get to Utami and then Utami and Tam just look for a second before continuing to forearm each other this was basically two singles matches wasn't it yeah, I was looking at this because, like, with the exception of that, um, it just sort of turned into. A, I want to say a tag match for a lot of it. The one wrinkle I did like though was um, was um, Saya and um, Utami would save each other so they can fight fight each other. Yeah, but then um, Julia and Tam would just take any opportunity to hurt each other. 
like Utami's holding up um, Julia, and the and the almost natural thing to do would be to kick Utami out of the way, but instead Tam kicks Julia to knock them both over. Yeah, I I did like that. I did I did think that was a nice little wrinkle. Um, but other than that, I know I love a lot of this was a bit of a clusterfuck, and um, the moments where they were teaming up just kind of didn't land for me as well as when they were all fighting, and that was basically half a match. So it it was good. It was a nice way to set up um, the upcoming Budokan show, which is closer than I thought. It's on the third, isn't it? Yes. And so so it's next week, and. <laughs> I only just realized it was that close this week. I was like, oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> um, thanks, Twitter. But, yeah, it's, this was fine. I liked it. And <laughs> the reason I liked it is because of the story going in and removing Julia and Tam from it for a minute because their story can stand on its own. I mean, they hate each other. You know, you've got passion and hatred. That's all you need to worry about. Here... Kamatani acknowledges the fans' complete ambivalence towards her challenge at Budokan. So she knows that people were questioning whether she deserved that chance. And then to put on top of that that Utami was questioning that as well, Utami, who is her friend, her tag partner, even she doesn't think that she's worthy. It it puts a lot on Saya. And then, I don't know if you noticed this, Chris, but as Saya came out, the crowd was silent, mm. like dead Naito like and Osaka. Exactly. It was it was almost a little bit uncomfortable. And I thought, what on earth is gonna what on earth is going on here? Like But then as the match wound on and the way that especially Saya and Utami structured their sort of feud and the final outcome as well, the crowd got more and more behind Saya. And actually the pinfall, because that's Utami's first pinfall loss of the year you heard the crowd audibly gasp. And that's what you want. She's the underdog. And I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed the disparity between the fact that Julia and Tam were just all out brawling. They were on the outside. They were beating the shit into each other with forearms. And then you've got Utami and Saya, who are actually having a wrestling match because Saya wants to prove to Utami that she's worth it. That Not L'Oreal, but, you know, she's worth worrying about. She's worth being in that title match that because what? Utami doesn't think that. What a weird time to drop a L'Oreal reference. When Whenever I hear worth it, I've got to say because you're worth it, which is L'Oreal. Um, um, is that a thing in America? <laughs> like, is that slogan anywhere but here? For those people in America who are wondering what the fuck we're talking about, L'Oreal um, is a type of shampoo and they did a version very briefly called L'Oreal Kids, which was packaged <laughs> as was no tears. And that was the biggest lie in the history of the world. You got that shit in your eyes. It was like lemon juice. I can tell the wealth disparity between our families just by the fact that I had a little knockoff. <laughs> L'Oreal. I remember the first time I ever got to use actual L'Oreal. Let me tell you, that shit was mad. It was like a mint for my hair. The idea of the little version being called like L'Oreal and it's then kids spelt that... with a Y and a Z. It literally was fucking called. That's what little and all these fucking <laughs> shampoo ranges called. Even like their head and shoulders knockoff is called L'Oreal. <laughs> I'm not even fucking joking. <laughs> amazing, amazing. 
Um, but yeah, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the fact that Saya, despite the fact that she wanted this win, and she's been so close, you know, she hit the Star Crusher at the last possible moment during the 6th of February show, but couldn't get the pinfall because the time ran out. She hit the Star Crusher here again, but somebody broke the pinfall up. Nobody has yet kicked out of the Star Crusher. Then, of course, Saya debuts this Springboard Hurricane Rana, which looked incredibly smooth, and she wins. She picks up that all-important victory over Utami. And post-match, Tam and Julia are still beating the shit out of each other, which made me laugh as they're trying to do the post-match stuff, and those two are still brawling. That really tickled me for some reason. Um, Utami finally acknowledges Saya's worthiness as a challenger, but then disrespects her again, undoing everything during the handshake because she drags her into the middle of the ring, then shoves her away, pushing her over. So it's added another wrinkle to the certainly the red belt match. The white belt match didn't really need this, if I'm being perfectly honest, because that few can stand on its own. However, this, Saya finally getting that pinfall victory over Utami was really, really important. Um, debuting, like I say, another move, which means if you think about it, just moves that she's put people away with this year, she's put people away with a missile dropkick, for some reason. Um, <laughs> Springboard Hurricane Rana, um, Star Crusher, Phoenix Splash. She's put people away with a lot of different moves. And don't forget, she's only pulled the Phoenix Splash out twice. One of them was at Wrestle Kingdom and one of them was at Yokohama Cinderella. So... I imagine that's going to be... Bo- I've got a booking scenario in my head, but it's not going to happen, so um, I'm going to... I, do you know what? Yeah, you know how Naito... Canadian Destroyer through glass. <laughs> Light tubes. Um, you know how the entire thing about Naito and Okada was that Stardust Press? Oh, you think well, it's going to be that, but with... Uh... Phoenix Splash, yeah. Okay. I don't think there's going to be as much there, though, because Stardust Press is meant, like, meant to represent the old Naito, but the yeah. one new Naito, I've lapsed into Kanye. Um... <laughs> Question. Tell me what you think of her. Yeah, go on. <laughs> that was Destiny's Child. <clears throat> but I mentioned Kanye. What the f- anyway. Um, as we and So I put out a poll today on mm-hmm. Twitter. At Quizless Piro. Um saying, Shameless we plug, cl- lovely. Well, I mean, we plug it at the end of the podcast, but I might as well plug it in the middle, you know, in case someone doesn't make it to the end. Um, <laughs> as we draw closer to, to the Budokan, how is everyone feeling about Utami versus Saya? And mm-hmm. I gave um, four options. Do not look at my Twitter to get who won. Going to be great. Going to be good. Going to be okay. Going to be shite. What, which one do you think won? Um, I think people say it's going to be good. It's gonna be. Did you? I swear to God, if you looked on my Twitter, I'd kill you. Um, now nah, it did say um, gonna be good. Um, no one's put gonna be shy, which I'm surprised about because I'm seeing like a lot of people not liking this. I think that sort of calmed down since it's announced that it's not the main event. Well, I want to talk to you about that, and I mean, when we talk about the uh, the running order, um, something I do just want to briefly bring up, and someone um, on Twitter posted this, and I'm really sorry, I forgot to note down your Twitter handle, but this time last year these two were facing off for the future of Stardom Championship. Mm-hmm. Just let that sink in for a moment. And then let it sink in that less than a year ago, we were laughing on this podcast about the new unit pictures or the new faction pictures that have been released. And <laughs> how they superimposed her onto it. <laughs> they'd superimposed Saya Kamatani at exactly the same height as the rest of um, Queen's Quest. Um, in her old gear onto this photo. 
It's like when we made fucking Tom Phillips and WWE look shorter than he is when he was talking to wrestlers and he kept changing heights. <laughs> but do you see what I mean? Like, the the distance that we've come, especially for Sire, is just unreal. Unreal. Um, what did you give it, Chris? Um, this, I gave it three. It was fine. I gave it three and three quarters. I really mm, enjoyed dang. it. I enjoyed dang. it considerably more than you apparently um well, yeah cause i felt i felt the same could have been achieved in like a queen quest civil war match and it would have been slightly better well we've already done that though we don't want to do it again do we i mean yeah but like this just felt like again this felt like a left fire pro to its own devices <laughs> okay um actually since it ended on a random runner <laughs> i like the springboard runner i think it worked it was so a shock I. win uh, so do I. Um, it's, it's basically a West Coast, uh, a West Coast pop at that point, eh? Yeah, exactly. Who's like um, jumping out the sky? S A Y. Doesn't quite work, does it? It's too many letters. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but they, tr- but like, it's not like um, they say R E Y. Oh, we do say R E Y. Okay, sorry. R E Y Mysterio. Here we go. I'm sorry. I grew up on the Budica theme song. Okay. Booyaka, booyaka, 619. That's why you can tell how old wrestling fans are by what Rey Mysterio theme song they grew up on. Like, Garth grew up on his fucking WCW um, theme. Right. Let's move on to the main event then of night two, which was the Goddesses of Stardom title match with the Donna Del Mondo team of Himika and Micah defeating the Awida Tai team and the champions, B. Priestley and Konami, the Black Widows, at 21 minutes and 46 seconds. Quick question, quick question, quick question. Um, so you know how Himika and Natsupoi are called Himapoi? Mm-hmm. Um, we can't really have a team name like that for, this, for the new champs, can we? My Himmy. That's what they call themselves. Really? Because that's what they call themselves. Yeah. The end of a car. Because we can, so it would just be Himakaka. Ah. <laughs> just ah. Like you sounded like a Dalek laughing. I did. I did. Um. So yeah. Anyway, this match. What did you think about it? It was okay. Um. B and Himika have weirdly good chemistry, and I don't know why. We said, actually, the last time... So the last challenge was the Great Eve Festival, which was the 30th of January. And we said, actually, that B and Himika's chemistry was a little bit off in that match. And you're absolutely right. They completely remedied it here. I thought they were far better together here than they were in that match. Um, my pro- One of my problems with B Priestley, and I know it's not a new problem, but she just does so many other people's moves and doesn't do enough to cover the, up the fact that she did that. Like, a moveset comprising of completely stolen moves isn't new. I mean, I'm a CM Punk fan. I was just going to say, you're just but, massive CM Punk mark who watched like, one Kenta match. I've seen more than one fucking Kenta match. <laughs> Jesus Christ, who used to pick the matches for the watch-alongs? I'm wrong? talking about CM Punk, you klutz. Oh, okay. Um. Anyway, anyway. Um. But problem is here, like, She's literally just stolen Golden Lover's moves and doesn't do them anywhere near as well. Like, she does become a goy, she does the V-Trigger, and then, like, the Regal Plaque. And, like, I don't know, I never see a B Priestley move. And, like, my first thought every time she hits one of the moves is, oh, Regal, oh, Omega, oh, Abushi. Like, I don't like, it's because it's not like everyone has, like, um, despite it not being the name she 
uses. I call Himika's finisher the cycle driver just because it looks like Super Dragon's move. Like, and Micah does like SEOs. Like, so it's not a new thing, but I don't get why I don't notice it. Like, what, say when Konami locks in an ankle lock, but I notice B Priestley just being completely other people's moves. It's mad. I don't, and I don't know why. And I think that it has to be a charisma thing. Because I don't notice it in Himika, Micah, Konami, etc. Because, like, they pull me into what they're doing. B doesn't quite, like, at least right now, isn't exactly pulling me into what she's doing. Then again, I think she's being overly annoying on purpose because, like, that's what the Empire have been in New Japan. Yeah, At least maybe. from what I've seen. But, because, like, this isn't a new thing, and I barely noticed it during her first, during her Red Belt run. But recently, it's just sort of been, like, uh, like, the one good thing that came comes from her student with Kamigaya is that roll-up at the end. I thought that was really cool. Mm. And I don't know how that hasn't happened in... <laughs> New Japan yet? Um, the other one, yeah, it's just a weird thing. Other than that, this was very good. Um, like a, a marked improvement over the last tag title match. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I felt everyone just flowed better here, and Micah did. It's a weird standout, despite the fact she didn't actually get much offense in. Um, and. It's weird because also Himiko and Michael work together a bit better, in my opinion. The Natsupoy and Himiko. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> I it's do weird, agree. I'm pretty sure um, Himiko and Natsupoy have teamed before we got to start them. I think you might be right. I'm going to. Well, there's no match guy. There's nothing in cage matches match guys for Himiko other than stardom stuff, so that's going to be annoying. Um, actually, it might just be under tag teams. Um, nothing about entire for fuck's sake. Anyway, no, never mind. Someone please just tell us. Um, because we're professionals who don't do our research before we come on. Uh, but yeah, this, but the match itself is just kind of okay. Like, Stardom, like it's weird because normally with Stardom, the undercard tags are better than the title tags, and I've never understood why. Hmm. But you know, I... like. Like, um, it almost like we try to throw more in there than they have to because it feel, feel like they have to because it's a title match when in reality if we just put a norm, like their normal tag match as just the main event for the title it would probably be just fine I think I like this a little bit more than you um, the sequence between Konami and Micah was tremendous um, the relentless targeting of that right arm was amazing and full credit to Micah. She sold it brilliantly for the remainder of the match. Like this took, this was an extended sequence of maybe six, seven minutes near the start of the match and the match went nearly 20. So, well, over 20, it went 21 minutes and 46 seconds. So there was a long time for Himika to sell it, but as soon as her arm had been completely destroyed by Konami, she was using it for nothing. She was cradling it, screaming in agony, and then any clotheslines, she threw with a left. Um, anytime she hooked the leg, she hooked it with a left. So I thought that was a tremendous selling. Um, B's theft of a moveset has never really bothered me, if I'm perfectly honest. I know, I know it's a real bugbear for you. Um, it didn't bother me here. I thought her and Himika worked a lot better um, than they did the last tag match. 
I think part of it might be because she puts it in the same places that these people put those moves as well. Maybe. Like, you know what I mean? like the catching the V-trigger off the ropes, like that's just what Kenny Omega does whenever he faces someone bigger. Hmm. Maybe. And, yeah, maybe. It, maybe just that. I don't know. Intertextuality in wrestling is weird and murky. Exactly. And, you know, don't forget, she did hit a cannonball off the apron, which I don't think I've ever seen her do before. No. So no. she is she is doing new things at least. Yeah, she's um, doing the Liger move. <laughs> um in terms of Donna Del Mondo taking the belts, mm-hmm. do you think this is the correct decision? Obviously, they wouldn't have defended them at Budokan Black Widows because Konami was in a match for the SWA championship. But do you think putting them on Micah and Himika is the right decision? Do you think that's a good place for them? Um in terms of the roster hierarchy? I think it works well enough. Like, the Stardom tag belts are kind of like the New Japan tag belts, and that Stardom don't overly care about them. No, true. So, so, like, it's not like... And also, we've said this before, sometimes it feels like Stardom books seemingly at random, and that's, I think that's just kind of what it is here. Like, they felt like it was time for a title change, so we changed the title, because there's not really many storylines revolving around... The belts. So, like, I know that sounds like a bit of a boring answer. But I no, I think I think I you can bit... argue it's booking necessity. Like I, I li- say, they wouldn't have I... had a tag match, Al, a uh, tag title match, else at Budokan. I literally just think Rossi licked his finger, put his finger out into the wind, and was like, "Yeah, time for a title change." <laughs> um, at least it was nice for Himika to get the pinfall. I mean, this was her third mm-hmm. attempt at the belts, so yeah. it was nice for her to get the pinfall. <laughs> it was like Utami earlier last year. Exactly, exactly. Um, post-match, Tora calls out Himika. This was an odd promo. Tora calls <laughs> out Himika for being half-arsed and then seems to body shame her, which Himika then returns tenfold. I I really hope this isn't the direction. Yeah, I hope this doesn't turn into like a piggy jam fucking Oh, Jesus I really Christ. hope this isn't the way that they're like, going about it. And I don't and I don't like that as a feud. Anyway, because like, one of my favourite things about Stardom is the diversity of people in there. Like, we don't all just, not everyone looks the fucking same, which is a problem you can have in some promotions. Like, look at you look at like the main event of New Japan and it's all the chiseled guys. Mm. Like, and I don't want, and like, I, I, I'm just not a fan of this sort of, like, it might just be a one time thing, but I've just gone with it because I have no clue how scripted Stardom promos are. No, neither do I. And because I'm not a Japanese speaker, I honestly can't tell if um from inflection if they're saying <laughs> if they're what they're saying sounds scripted or not. Yeah. I, so, I don't know. Um I don't, here's to like, hoping. I, I just hope we don't keep doing that. I feel there's better promos to be cut. Like just follow fucking just follow Julia's example. Just shoot. I like that. Just shoot on people. I must admit the promo that Tora cut leading up to that was very, very good. Um she talked about how um, as soon as she'd lost, Himika turned to a different partner, whereas no matter how many times Saki loses or no matter time, how many times she loses, you know, they stick together. So, and then she claims that Himika's kind embarrassed. Kind of put them against story. Yeah, a little bit. A bit um, hard at each other. <laughs> I, quite, I must admit, I quite liked it. But yeah, they challenged for the belts um, at Budokan and Micah and Himika accepted. So, what did you give the match, Chris, out of five? Um, three and a quarter. It was good. I gave it three and three quarters. I I really did enjoy it. I think it's 
it's the best tag title match that we've had since. I didn't particularly like the uh, the Corican New Landscape one. To be perfectly honest, I think it's the worst oh, no, of the Queen's Quest Civil Wars one. Let me um, um, matches by year. The only other one that so far this year is the DDM. B. Okay, so we'll go to twenty twenty. The tag title match. The pro- probably the best tag title match is the Micah and Himika versus Aphrodite and Yokohama Cinderella. That was a decent tag title match. That was a good one. I really liked it when I really liked the one Jungle and Konami had for the belt belt against B and Hater last year. When uh, the belts were vacant. No, oh, yes. That's that a very good one. Some. Jesus. I mean, yeah, but again, for basically to style them up with the IWGP Championship belts. But again, the IWGP Championship had a good year last year, and now it's on fucking Gorillas of Destiny for reasons no one has been able to adequately fucking justify to me, but people still try. It's fucking crazy. So we'll move on uh, to talk some more Budokan stuff. So just very quickly from the boot, some little things to come out of the Budokan press conference. Um, we talked about, obviously, the letter that Konami wrote to Suri, adding that other wrinkle to the feud, which brought a tear to Suri's eye. Um, Momo and Nene Takahashi had to be separated, um, so building the heat towards that match. Um, and um, Sayakamatani. Um, slapped Utami before stalking off after signing the match contract. That was, um, a good, that was a good phrase to use. Stalking? Yes. Thank you. I'm I'm proud of myself for that. Um, I don't want that to be the thing that Saya does before every single match because I know she did it to Micah before her future of stardom championship shot. So... I don't want that to be the new thing that she does just because I think it lessens every time you do it. But I will say that with the current storyline they're going with of Utami basically not giving shit and not taking her challenge seriously, I think it works. Um, I think shit would happen when the slap happened. I, I, I ended up having the comments on him, like stuff from the comments on him in the background while I was running errands the other day. Go on then. And um, I think should have happened when the slap happened. Was just you know that song from a few years ago. It's like I don't fuck with you. <laughs> played as soon as the slap happened, and like the little piano bit is leading up to it. It would have been an amazing TikTok, which I'm sad I missed out the opportunity to do. But again, I don't know how prevalent Joshi TikTok posting is. Neither but... do I. Neither do I. Um, just quickly before we go into the revealed running order, um, at blue underscore cano one on Twitter. Um, has put this, and this really does make you think. Stardom is going to be the first women's promotion to run Nippon Budokan since All Japan Women on August the 31st, 1997. Damn, I wasn't even one. 23 years since a women's promotion has run Budokan. That's mental, and it gives you just some sort of scope for how big a deal this is for Stardom. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, I that's even... mental. But one of very few promotions to run Budokan recently. Hang on, let me look at Budokan on Cage Match. And how oh, Cage Match. Because I want to see... Because I know when Noah ran there, it was the first time in like 11 years. So who's ran there in recent... Because I know New Japan runs there now, which is weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's basically just been them for a while now. 
Um, we're the only ones who ran it in 2020, but that didn't really count, so let's go back to 2019. We're the only ones to run in 2019. And I think we might have the only ones to run in 2018 and all. Um, yeah, we're the only ones to run in 2018. Did anyone run it in 2017? No. So, like, it's basically just been New Japan for the second half of the decade. And I'm not seeing any other promotions running it. It's pretty impressive when you consider it. It's hugely impressive, even. It's essentially just, and like in terms of, I say just, it's still a massive achievement, but in terms of what they're aiming for, they're aiming for what we'd get if they went to, um, I want to say Sumo Hall. Mm. I think that's what it is. Yeah, the last time a non New Japan thing ran it before the Noah show was Noah again in 2010, and then they had a pro wrestling, one of those pro wrestling love shows. Like the all together yeah. ones, um, yeah. there in 2011, and I think that's been it. Jeez, by the looks of things, but again, it's more, it's basically just one of the big arena. Oh no, DDT ran there, <laughs> DDT ran there in 2012. I, I forgot about that because that's where Omega thingy happened. Ibushi, yes, ah. I forgot, I forgot his name because he doesn't have a brain, but my god, he's pretty anyway. Let's move on. <laughs> Actually, no, let's not move on. We were talking about something. Uh... <laughs> no, we weren't. That was it. <laughs> oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, something I've seen floating about. Nothing that I've seen confirmed. So I am just going to say this. We'll just take it with a little bit of a pinch of salt until I've had it confirmed. Um, that the guest commentators for Stardom's anniversary show are going to be Akira Hakuto and Fuka, which... Ooh. Is going to be quite nice. Um, it is nice to see Akira Hokuto on. But again, I guess she's. Has she done commentary? I don't know anything about the commentaries there. Yeah, Akira Hokuto. Even I know who Akira Hokuto is, and I'm an idiot. Yeah, she's the current holder of the WCW women's belt. <laughs> are, are, you, are you still trapped in 97 WCW, are you? I am, yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, Fuka is one of the founders of Stardom as well, so there's a nice little link there that ten years later, running Budokan, that um, she gets to do some commentary on that as well. So let's have a look at the running order then. The official running order seems to have been released. Um, the first two matches, the prologue battles, as they are announced, um, will be airing for free on YouTube. Um, so they are as follows. The prologue fight, one is the high-speed title match between Azumi and Natsupoi. And then the second prologue fight is the Goddesses of Stardom title match. Uh, the champions, Micro and Himika, taking on Natsuka Tora and Saki Kashima. So that should be on YouTube, airing for everyone. We spoke last week about timings and when it's going to air on um, Samurai. So it's a four o'clock start on Samurai, I believe. And then the show starts properly at six this is japan standard time so what what time would that be for us um i think let me just check oh no i can't my internet's down well will you check what time 6 p.m japan standard time i've got a feeling it's 10 o'clock um the 4 p 4 4 p.m is 10 o'clock in the morning um oh i put 6 p.m i put gmt to uk i'm a fucking idiot hang on okay 6 p.m. Pan to UK. Um, that'd be 9 a.m. for the main card. So, so that'd be a 7 a.m. for. So that's basically Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, pretty much. 
and but it would be better and actually keep me awake this year. <laughs> so the next match is we open the main card with the Stardom All Star Rumble. We have got the full list it looks like so i'll run down those names now uh b priestley mina shirakawa yunagi sayaka starlight kid saya idagoki can death lady c and then the legends that we spoke about before everyone that we spoke about on the previous podcast i'm not going to go through those again um and then the second match on the card is momo watanabe versus nene takahashi uh match three is the swa world title match between suri and konami uh, fourth on the card, Mayu Iwatani versus Yoshiko. Um, and then the two matches that top the card, and this is what was interesting when the card was first shown in its entirety. Uh, semi-main on the card, match five, the World of Stardom title match, the red belt, Yutami Haishishita versus Saya Kamatani. And topping the bill, the main event, in a hair versus hair match for the wonder of starting title is Julia versus Tam Nakano. Now, before we start anything else, Chris, um, are you surprised that Julia and Tam are on top? I'm a bit surprised because I don't. When was the last time the white belt headlined over the red belt? I couldn't tell you that, but I'm sure someone on our Discord will be able to tell us that. Um, I know it's happened. Uh, sorry, my friend, I sent my friend the Candyman earlier, and now she's really worried about my mental. Anyway, um, you know what the Candyman is. It looks like Unagi's thing. Anyway, um, in terms of uh, if I was booking it, that's what I do. But in terms of Stardom doing it, I don't know because they seem Stardom can be stubborn. Yeah. So honestly, I'm surprised they did that. But also, like, there's a history of Japanese companies doing that on big stages. Like when Noah ran the Tokyo Dome, the JHC Championship, I think, was like fourth from the top. Like, it wasn't even like a semi main, it was fairly far down the card. So it's not like the first time something like this happened. And then New Japan sum up for the IC Bell. I think they literally just picked what they thought to be the more interesting match and put that on top. I can see both sides of the argument because your red belt, your world of stardom championship, irrelevant of who is in that match, it is your top belt. Mm-hmm. It is the most prestigious belt in stardom. So automatically you want that to be mm-hmm. at the top of the card, especially if you're going full in future of stardom. Mm-hmm. However, two things, and these are the arguments that I've seen Online and the arguments that I tend to think are correct. First is that putting them second from the top and not top takes a lot of the pressure off Sire mm-hmm. and Utami, in fairness. Secondly, Julia versus Tam is the money match, it's the one with the most feud, it's the one with the most story, it's the one with the most heat. Okay, it's the one that everyone is talking about. Look and uh, look around at everyone that watches Stardom. Okay, if you go to Twitter, anyone that watches Stardom, what is the match they're talking about? It's the hair versus hair match, Julia versus Tam. It's not even the fact it's for the white belt. That seems to be secondary against the fact that it's a hair versus hair match. That seems to be the thing. It's the hot match. And I'm with you, Chris. If I was booking this. 
I would put this on top as well. I know it's the red belt. You I mean, could like, argue it diminishes the value of the red belt. But you're looking at what is going to draw the most heat. What is going to draw the most eyes? It's it's the white belt match. It is the white belt match. And it, it does take off the pressure of Sire and Utami, but Sire especially. It's not to be fair, it's not like these two have um overly like it's not like they have that much of a difference in terms of when they were established and in terms of relevance. They've mm. basically been equally relevant as well they've both been at least for as long as I've been watching. And I'm just double checking now, I don't think there's that much time between how long we've been in. Um do 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 Cage match. Um, no one came in twenty eleven. They both seem to have came, come in in twenty eleven. So, yeah, in terms of like actual prestige, I'd I'd argue they're about equal. In terms of talent, who tells them they're about equal? I think both of them are valid to headline over each other. I think it's more one A one B situation than it is a one two. Mm. At least that's how I perceive it. And again, for as long as I've been watching Stardom, it seems like perception among the fans I know and talk to seem to have preferred the white belt over the red belt for a lot of it. I think that's mostly because a lot of people came in during Momo's run mm. or like El or El Shirai's run. But also, I'm looking at the reigns of a white belt. There seems to be less sort of randomness. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, because you look at the red belt, you've got people like Tony Storm, B Priestley who've held the belt, Alpha Female who've yeah, held the like, red belt. It's weird because they like they weirdly it's amazing how much they sound. Like I remember seeing Alpha Female as the second championship and like, what really? <laughs> like in what's the name? Um Jazzy Gabbett. That's um, nothing against Jesse Gabbett, obviously, but you don't automatically go, eh, she's a red belt champion. Yeah, I think uh, I, I think that's the thing because I don't think this at all diminishes the red belt because they're essentially just one A one B, and you look on, um, you, in like and get yeah, this isn't the best way to measure it in the world, but you look on cage match, and the white belt is more popular. Like in terms of ratings, it has a ten. I mean, yeah. that's only twelve people compared to more people talking about the world stardom championship, but. Um, I don't know, it seems to have been red belt clustered. I think and the red belt has headlined the white belt has headlined over the red belt before. So honestly, I don't think it's that big a deal. Because again, it's not like again you look at the no. I just looked up that Noah card. Four um, three matches were above the GHC Championship match there, and the GHC Championship match there involved Tanahashi. So like, it's not at all uncommon for them to do this. I still think I don't think it at all diminishes their what they've been going for because again we've just looked at what's the money match and we've went with the money match. I think that's literally just the long and short of it. One hundred percent. Neither match is going to be less relevant afterwards by not being the main event. I think. Let's put it this way: it is nowhere near as egregious as Wrestle Kingdom Eight. It's nothing um, like that. No, because they didn't hold a fucking vote. <laughs> They were just like they didn't hold a vote, and at that point, the Intercontinental Championship was what 
three years old, something like that. Yeah, again, but I, I, these came in within like months of each other. They came in on the same day, actually. Look, like they've both been around since 2011. So, eh. yeah, no, like, I, I'm, I sure, think it's I'm fine. sure I'm longer term, like I've been around Stardom for two years now, Rob's been around for one. It's I'm sure longer term fans might have a different opinion to it as well, but work from where I'm sitting, I don't think this is that egregious. No, not do I. Let's look at some questions then, Chris, as we finish off this podcast episode. So we've got a couple from Twitter, so I'll just fire these at you very quickly. Um at loans underscore saber. Um, after the last shows in Corrigan, I was thinking about Kamatani's position heading into Budokan. Uh, shows a lot of fire and a lot of new moves in just a couple of shows. But how is this going to end? Um, isn't it a little bit too much? I know fans, including myself, weren't happy of the booking of the match. But what I'm worried about is how she's going to be coming out of the match. She'll be far above the future of Stardom belt level. So how will she position in the roster considering she skipped that step? Um... If you look at how they've treated Micah since her loss to Utami at the 10th anniversary show, um, I think you've got pretty much a blueprint for what they're going to do for Saya. Um, they're going to give her an opportunity at the Red Belt. She's not going to win, but it's going to give her an opportunity to fight on that level. And then once she's lost on that, you can look at the Artist of Stardom Championships, the tag titles, which, you know, is not a demotion. It's a place where she can be before going for those singles titles again. She has only been wrestling, what, 18 months now? Or mm. less than that? So if you look at Mike as a template, I imagine personally that is where you are looking at Saya Kamatani going as well. What about you, Chris? I think I think we said this from the start. This match is more a statement than it is uh, like a match you want to see like it's a statement from start like especially with few companies going for more older talents yeah um and the in the week since this has been announced like you see like Korobushi isn't a young talent Juni Akiyama and Keiji Muto definitely aren't young talents Swama so I think this is sort of a way they're trying to distinguish themselves with we have young people going for the, like young raw talent going for the belt which is a good thing to have, but also like I don't think this is gonna be a permanent promotion. No, not at all. I think she's literally just gonna go back to where she was after this match if she doesn't win. Like, cause there's that it's still like nine to ten, she'll lose. Oh yeah. So I think it's, it's, it's a, I think it's a ten. It's a, temp- it's a temporary promotion. Basically, what this is. Remember when time we went for the white belt earlier this year, and then was in the tag scene all year until she won the white belt. I believe that's what's happening with Saya here. It's yeah. a temporary promotion in the semi-main of a big show, and then she'll go back down. And that's not a bad thing. It's kind of just what Stardom does. Like you look at Konami, you look at um, even Tam. Mm-hmm. Like when she went for Wave, that's kind of just what happens. That's kind of just how we book things. So I think asking what, how she's going to stay up there, I don't, I don't think that's, I don't, that's not how I look at it because that's just not how Stardom book. It's a case of as well. You look at someone like Starlight Kid, who has a lot more ring experience than Sai Kamatani, hasn't had the opportunity that Sai Kamatani's had, mm-hmm. but when she was given the tap on the shoulder to go for a white belt match, she knocked it out of the park. Mm. So it's just a case of she'll have a chance. 
she'll put on a great match. I've got no doubt about that. And then she will go back to her usual position, be challenging for the artists, the mm-hmm. tag, and then they will give her the top on the shoulder to have another go at a singles title. It's it- all about building that exposure for her. Mm-hmm. In terms of the moves um, thing you brought up, um, question, I forgot to take note of your name. Um, Lone Saber. Thank you. In, in terms of what Lone Saber brought up in terms of moves, that's something I am worried about. Because, um, again, we're parallel, and the run-up to a big match at the Hydra, which is like Glasgow Wembley, basically. Um, between Viper and Kaylee Ray. And Viper put out a Canadian Destroyer in the lead-up. That's kind of where I'm worried of the moves that Sai is introducing at yeah. the amount to. Like, it, on one hand, it's very good that you've given her several viable match-enders to, which will add to the match. But also, what new can she pull out right now? Like, did she need to pull out the tope on in a random tag match in what was it? It was something pit. It was Shinkiba pit, wasn't it? It was either Shinkiba. It was either um, Shinkiba first ring or Shinjuku face. I can't remember. Off the top yeah, of it was Shinjuku face. I don't know why I said pit. I'm thinking of Sendai pit. I'm stupid. Um, but yeah, I'm bas- like I feel like she didn't have to pull out all these moves. I feel like she could have waited a bit, and that comes with inexperience. Like when. You, you sort of see you sort of see it on the indies all the time, like over here. Well, not over here anymore. This seems dead. But like over in like America, or whatever, um, where young guys will be pulling out moves all the time because it's like, oh, I just learned to do this. I need to like, bring this into my next match. Whereas a bit of holding, like I'm going to sound like fucking Garth here, but hold a bit back. Like mm. I, I feel like she's introduced a bit too much because not everything she's introduced has been a match ender. Like I think the um her impact finisher and the um and a high flying finisher, I think that was enough to pull out here. And then you you'll have a couple of things to pull out in the big match. Because I've no clue what the fuck she's gonna pull out to surprise us in that match now. I'm not as concerned as you. And the reason is before the Phoenix splash, she had nothing. Mm-hmm. What was she ending matches with? That running um, shooting star press where we were convinced she was going to break her neck. Mm. So she needed viable finishes. So if we take Star Crusher and the Phoenix Splash off the table, because she needed those moves, if she was going to be given a singles program in any division, then she, and you know, she was given the goddess of stardom tag belts. She needed some viable finishes. So take those off the table. In terms of the Tope, the Springboard Hurricane Rana, I mean, the missile dropkick she was doing anyway, and she only mm. pinned Ruwaka with it. So, um, In terms of those two moves, she doesn't pull them out all the time. She's done the tope no, once. That's what, but that's what I'm saying. Save them for Budokan. But look at the Phoenix Splash. Like, she's already pulled that out. Oh, no, she hasn't pulled it out no, since. No, that's what I'm saying. The, the Star Crusher and the Phoenix Splash, I'm completely fine with, but she's introduced so much. She's she introduced has. more. But, like, both, both things could have waited. The story is about her evolving. I do understand that. I know that if she'd have introduced all those in one match, you you can you can do that without new moves. Like you can just show that she's perfected her old moveset. Because quite frankly, that story isn't told through moves. You look at like some of the best wrestlers ever. Like look at Suzuki. He has like five moves, and he doesn't bump, (laughs) but he still manages five moves of Suzuki Doom. 
Yeah, of Suzuki Goon. Um, oh, see, like, uh, oh, like him, like Himika progressed through the five star, right? She doesn't have that many moves. That story isn't told through introducing moves. That story is told through booking, which I would argue they've dropped the ball with. Hmm. Like I, uh, I we disagree. talked about this. We talked about this uh, with the B match earlier. Like you could have thrown all the moves into that match that you fucking wanted. That still hasn't helped the story they're trying to tell. I disagree with the dropping the ball on the booking. No, I wouldn't. I mean, dropping the ball might be a bit harsh, but I'd argue they haven't done as much as they could have. I mean, maybe yes. Okay, let's for argument's sake, let's say she should have beaten B. That would still be thirteen matches, nine wins. She's done twelve matches, eight wins, and that was before the Corrigan show. Mm. She's only lost two matches since the start of January. So we can't exactly say that she's been booked weekly. She's got the second highest win percentage alongside Azumi and Julia. So I think that's my point. She's been booked well, but I don't I don't think she hasn't looked overly strong. And I know that's kind of the point, but like she's even not looked strong in situations where she should look strong even if she prevailed. It looks like half the time when a lot of the time when she wins, it's either by luck or through the skin of her teeth. Again, I've got to disagree. I mean okay, looking at the six woman tag stats or multi woman, so six or eight woman tag. She's had seven matches, won five of them. Of those okay. five matches, she's had the pinfall four times. She's it's... she's been the pinfall getter eighty percent of the time when they've won. And mm-hmm. hasn't eaten a pin in a multi-man. Or no, a my, po- my point is, if she l- actually looks strong, I wouldn't need stats to convince me <laughs> that she looked that she was being made to look strong. And that's fine, but don't forget, we're not. I know it sounds stupid. We're not like, necessarily example, trying I, to get across um, I, that I, she's I, strong. She's I the know. underdog. Okay, so I follow. Do you, do you, were you around for the New Japan Discourse when Real Neat Hero was a thing? Do you mean was I alive? No, I mean like were you like watching New Japan? Like, do you remember New, Real Neat Hero basically? Vaguely, yeah. Um, I remember his G One video where he talked about Yujiro Takahashi picking up the most wins in Bullet Club tag matches throughout a year. Still. Did, would you say Yujiro in 2017 looked strong? Are we really comparing Yujiro to Sai? When was the last no, but that's, title it's, 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 program that Yujiro was that, in? But quite frankly, that's the same line of argument, using stats from Multimans to sort of prove your point, where I don't think that tells the whole story. Cause no, it comes not in, at all. It comes not in, at all. I, I, just, I think in terms of how she's coming across, she could have come across to look a tiny bit stronger. Like, the fact that we basically have it 10-10 Utami losing, like we felt that with a lot of World of Sabbath St- Championship matches, but because of how that person was booked in the lead-up, we had that little stringers out. Even with Momo, who the whole point was she was meant to look weak, even I think she looked stronger going into her title match. But we talked about Micah and how we still, we were 10 out of 10 that she was not coming out of the 10th anniversary show with the but belt. That was, but that was, she was still book strong. It doesn't yeah, matter. But that was a filler defense. 
Like, so we, is this. Yeah. <laughs> it's on the, but the, the difference is this is a further defense on the biggest show stardom have, has had since they ran Sumo Hall. But again, you've already said that this is a showcase match, effectively, yeah, just saying that we're going with could, we're going we with could... future. Look at what we've got. Yeah, Nobody but, expects but, this to be an actual you... title. What a title uh, change! Could, yeah, but you could have done more in the lead up to make Saya more viable. What would you have done differently then? Given a put her in less multi-mans, give her more. Have have a squash a few people. Have her pick. Have her look more dominating in wins. But I think she has looked dominating in those I, wins. But no, because I think of some of the w- wins they've been from like a, either a quick hook and run out. She's had to pull out a big move, whereas like recently when like Mayo's been getting a big ma- um big win, they haven't been using. She's been using a secondary move. She's pulled out the Star Crusher like four times. I know, but that's her main finisher. That's basically her main finisher because she's not going to be using the star. Um, but because her star does press, not star. Uh, fiber press is basically her last. Um, resort finisher. It's it's her burning hammer. But then, by that very same token, we laughed when she finished off someone with a missile drop kick. So we can't have on one hand she can't finish someone with a drop kick, but she also can't finish someone off with a yeah, but the, star crusher. But there's then there's we're moaning at her for pulling out too many moves. There's a, mid, there's a middle ground here, and the move thing is a case of is a like she's already had a decent secondary finish from that. Shooting star, which would also be good good for Marty Man. It is not a decent finisher. It's a decent enough finisher for fucking. It's bloody not. It looks like she's going to break a neck. Fucking Marty Man, it's fine enough, right? (laughs) I I disagree entirely. I disagree entirely. I've I've never liked that move. It's never looked. It's never looked safe. To be perfectly honest, never looked. I know it's. I know she pulls it off. I don't know whether it's just because she's a little bit... I don't want to say gangly, but it's, I don't know whether it's because she's tall. I just... I don't know. I don't know if it's the rotation, but I've just, I've just never bought that as a finish, ever. Just, well, In I'm anyone. Say, I'm saying is I think Starland's an underdog challenges better for... I think people... Yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm with you that there have been underdog challenges that have been done better. That we can both agree on. I don't think Saya has been booked badly on the lead-up, though. I'm saying it's basically where we stand. I'm not saying it's been built badly. I'm saying because, given the gravity of the show, like we even could have made it less of a what the fuck, like in the lead up to um, her announcing um, that match being announced, they could have made it a, le- a less of a what the fuck moment. Like uh, Muto versus Go. That was a what the fuck thing, but we still kind of knew it was happening beforehand. Could have foreshadowed it more, especially since we were tagging <laughs> throughout the whole year before that. Right. But you didn't have an issue with the fact that there was absolutely no foreshadowing that Momo was going to get a title match. That was in that was in the one of the bigger like not as big as this. It's still like, it was still their like, biggest show that. of that year. That was still the biggest show of 2020. But also Momo is much more of an established name so her just getting a title shot makes more sense. But she'd been on a losing streak. Her win percentage in 2020 must have been dreadful. Still made I mo- don't have it, but... But it's... Okay, I'm trying to think of like a New Japan exa- example. Like, Ishii doesn't 
win all that much. If you got a title shot, you still probably wouldn't bat an eyelid. That's sort of where Momo was. But then you can't blame the booking. <laughs> if people are just going to get title shots, you can't blame the booking then. Sayaka Kamatani, well, in my opinion, has been booked an... well. Yes, she could have been booked better, but I think she's been booked well. I'm not saying she hasn't been, but I'm not saying the booking hasn't been serviceable. I'm just saying, saying like consider because like I get it's one of the there's a big Sardom show, um, the Osaka show, but it's not fucking Budokan, and it's not the only th- thing on the card. But they could have done a tiny bit more. Like I'm not I saying... agree they could have done a little bit more. We do agree on that. Basically, what we've been arguing about is like a slight difference where you, you think it's fine, I think it could be a bit better. I think it's how we're going about it. Anyway, we're, we're butting heads for literally no reason because Sire is not winning this red belt, so it is irrelevant. Um, last question then, Chris, and hopefully we will agree on an answer to this one. Um, going to our Discord then, Alex Tremaine Um do you think the Torah chain era, and genuinely I shuddered as I read that because I don't want to remember it, um, a weeder tie would have been gone better if um, they had been doing pre-match promos explaining why they were doing things. Um, and do you feel the lack of promos is still hurting them? So basically, Chris, do you think we'd have enjoyed the chain era of a weeder tie if they'd have explained what they were doing? Mm-hmm. That's because it took a fucking Twitter thread months after for me to understand why we were doing that. And because at the time, me and you were confused. And like, I sometimes, like, I, if I'm rushing, I'll sometimes skip a promo. But like, between the two of us, we've always watched all the promos mm-hmm. going into at least major matches. And we were fucking confused. And we have a Discord full of people. Who also who watched Adam about as much, uh, uh, like as much if not more than we do, and a lot of them were confused too. Like, I, you know what it reminded me of? You know how sometimes on like a like on AEW back when we watched that weekly, um, you'd be like, "What the fuck is going on?" And some one was like, "Oh, don't you even watch being really." It's like, no, I don't. I don't think there should be a million like unless it's from a past thing. I don't think mm. there should be a million um, different tertiary things you need to get to pull off your story. I think they should give you a, like even, it can even be vague but they should be able, they should just give you everything you need to know about what the fuck is going on in the show you're watching and they didn't do a good job of that. If this was explained more, I might have liked it more but I still think the story that I saw on my Twitter thread, I still don't think they went about it as well as they could have. I still think they could have because, uh, again, maybe if, even if it wasn't the chain, right? Because we talked about how that chain spot could have been so effective in the Julia match. Mm-hmm. And it and it, and it isn't. I'm so numb to it. And I mentioned this before. It's, I'm so numb to it to the point of I don't pop for it in other places in wrestling right now. That's so hard to do. Mm-hmm. Like, um, it's like how Randy Orton did Viaccio so, mu- so much elsewhere that I don't pop for it when I'm see it in other places um it's sort of I, I think it's the same reason why when some people who haven't gone back and watched old old japan and noah why they see a burning hammer and don't get why people mark out for it like a different level uh, 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 the best way to put it actually i think 
the chain spot became the DDT. And it was something that could have been a fucking... Because it should be something that writes someone off a show if they're doing it in a segment. And I get hangings happened before in Oedetai, like basically Kagetsu made a running joke of doing it to me. But that at least serviced a rivalry. Mm. I, like, and I get this service story, and I can't recall the story off the top of my head right now. But they didn't make that clear while it was happening. I only found out that that was the story after it happened. And I watched basically everything Sardin does. I think basically you are looking at as a Tawida tie as your your heel faction. That's the whole point. They are your heel faction. And there was no heat whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Nothing. The crowd were bored. The crowd didn't care. There was no reaction whatsoever. And if the whole storyline of them feeling mistreated and they wanted to bring the company down from the inside, which is a a shit storyline anyway because it doesn't make sense why do you hate the people that are paying your wages and why are you still there if you hate it so much i'm sorry it's just it's it's a storyline i've hated okay in any promotion i think it's ridiculous but if that's the storyline you're going with you need to at least garner heat the whole point is you're trying to get people to hate you because you are destroying stardom and all it did was because they just constantly lost so mm-hmm. all it did was just make them look just pathetic. It's why I drew up the parallels between um, them and the Tongan selection of Bullet Club in G128. Exactly. It's exactly Cause, that. Because that's what it is. And I get, I kind of get the point, but also, like, it went because Because even when it um, culminated in her getting a, like, a more chaotic rule set. In her when in the title match she eventually fell into. It it ended up not mattering. She didn't go half as far in that um in that no DQ match than she did in like half the matches she got DQ'd from. Exactly. It was a weird match. like there's some there's definitely potential in this story. I definitely don't and I the thread I saw started like I because I feel like some people because I was definitely almost at the point where I just wanted to skip away the time matches and someone said I'm kind of sick of people hating on stardom for just reading the results and not the matches I do agree but as someone who watched all the matches the story was shite I'm sorry it was just bad yeah and 100% I want to tell you doing a lot better now like now in like today's like 2021 stardom when I see Oedetai getting a DQ really annoyed anymore, mm. it's servicing more, it services more of a story, like they were trying to injure their opponents going into a tag tower match. All made sense. And then it like it makes more sense now. They've sort of the thing again. Mm. But in terms of what it was last year, they didn't but there's there was definitely a story there. They didn't make that clear anywhere near clear enough, and it just came to the detriment of a whole tournament. Last thing I'm going to say on this before we sign off. You look at what Julia's done in the past two weeks. Look at the heat that she has managed to get. In two weeks, 
she has gotten more heat than Oedotai did in 12 months. And that just goes to show it wasn't the storyline, it was the way they were going about it. The fact that they, the overexposure of the spots, um, the lack of clarification, the fact that their their actions led to nothing, nothing at all. And people didn't hate them. And that that's the important thing. Oedotai wanted you to hate them. But all they did was they were just apathetic. The crowds didn't care. The crowds didn't hate them. The crowds were just, oh, if we're just quiet, they'll go away. And that was where we were when it came to Oedotai. However, Chris is absolutely spot on. They're doing a lot better now. Um, the cheating is makes sense. Um, it's nowhere near as frequent, and I think that is really, really important. So, in answer to your question, Alex, basically, in the longest way round possible, no, I don't think promos would have helped in uh, that chain era of Oida Tag. No, not at all. I think it was a multitude of things. Um, anyway, Chris, let's sign off, because we've been talking for a fucking long time. Well, um, do you need to say that anymore? That's just what we do. I know, we just talk bollocks, don't we? Um, Thank you so much for listening, guys. We really, really do appreciate it. Thank you for sticking with us, for us literally talking out of our arses for two hours. So thank you. Um, Subscribe to the podcast. You can literally talk to us or find us anywhere, whether it's Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever we are, everywhere. Um, Check out the website as well, www.podmania.co.uk. You can check out all our archived episodes there. Um, You can find us on Twitter at at the StardomCast. Join our Discord. Um, It's in all the podcast descriptions and everything. It's a really good place to hang out with people who are really, really knowledgeable about Stardom, far more knowledgeable than us. And there's no gatekeeping or anything like that. They are just awesome people who know a lot about wrestling. So please go and check that out. You can buy our merch in the same links in the podcast description um, and also in our Twitter description as well. Um, You can talk to me on Twitter at at RealRobGoodwin. Chris, where can they find you? Um, drinking <laughs> on a bench, being given money by people. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't drink in public. People judge you when you drink in public. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for listening, guys. And we'll be back on Sunday, eleven PM British Standard Time, for the next and last episode of the Starting Cast before Budokan. We'll see you later. <laughs>